What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 349 with my guest, uh, Meredith M. Um, Paul Gilmart. I'm Paul G. <laughs> Why did that make me laugh? Uh, and this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. I almost forgot the name of my show. Uh, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads. We're back on track now. From mentally diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. I was trying to think of something else to put in there to break up my same weekly spiel. But um, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out. Fill out surveys. Surveys are a really huge part of uh, this show. Um, I read your anonymous surveys every every week. And it's really important to me, and I know it's really important to the listeners, too, because a lot of people have never heard a story similar to theirs until they hear me read somebody's survey, because it's anonymous. You guys get so incredibly honest in your surveys, and it's just... um, um, some of them are so touching and beautiful. Some of them are so painful uh, to read, but um, I learned so much about you and myself reading uh, reading them. Um, Want to remind you that uh, LA Podfest is right around the corner. It's uh, October 6th, 7th, and 8th. And if you've never seen uh, a podcast recorded live, either come see it in person here in LA or uh, buy a pass to see it uh, streaming online. Uh, You can even watch it archived for up to, I think, a month afterwards. Anyway, all the details are at uh, lapodfest.com. 
And I'm going to be recording on Sunday, October 8th at 4 p.m. And my guest is going to be Andy Kindler, who is one of the funniest men uh, alive. And I can't wait to talk to him. Um, if you live in the Twin Cities, I am coming to uh, Minneapolis on Saturday, October 14th. I'm going to be doing a live recording. I think it's at 2 in the afternoon at uh, Sisyphus Brewery, and uh, I'll put a link to that on our website here. And um, then that night, there's going to be a comedy show, and I'm going to be the MC and uh, feel 100 years old and be unable to remember any of my material. Uh, I was at my uh, support group meeting tonight, every Thursday night. My support group meeting is... Um, it's like one of my favorite places in the world, and it's it's where I get centered it's where I feel seen. It's where I can be of service to other people, where they can help me. It's the connection I've looked for my my whole life. And tonight was, was no exception. Um, it was a powerful, powerful meeting. And the subject was honesty. And people started sharing about the ways in which we can be dishonest uh, with others and dishonest with ourselves. And I thought, man, that's the most insidious one is the dishonesty with ourselves. And anybody who's battled an addiction or a compulsive behavior knows how, how true that can be. Because when you, when you're being dishonest with yourself, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't contradict you in obvious ways. Uh, you know, like for instance, you could you could lie to yourself and say, uh, you know, I don't have a drinking problem, but then you get, you know, five DUIs. It's going to be hard to keep telling yourself that you, that you don't have a drinking problem. Oh, of course, people do, um, but it's the lies where the contradictory evidence isn't doesn't appear right away. Um, those are the difficult ones. And I was thinking, why, you know, when I've lied in my lifetime, why did I find it necessary to lie? And the thing that I found in all the instances that I could think of was that I was trying to avoid feeling shame. And I realized that, like, two of the biggest motivating factors in my life you know, it, that have propelled me to engage in, in behaviors that, um, aren't ideal for me, uh, have been to avoid feeling invisible or to avoid feeling shame. And since I've started going to support groups, I've started walking through shame because these people that I go and share my experiences with and who share their experiences with me can be so safe that I know they're not going to shame me. And I can share um, things that I've been keeping inside me forever. And it it's a life-changing event getting deeply honest with people and finding out that they they aren't as judgmental as you thought they were going to be, often not judgmental at all, and that we're the hardest 
judgers on us. You know, if a lot of us who grew up in critical environments, um, we assume the rest of the world is going to look at us under that same microscope. And in a support group, it's, I've found it to be the exact opposite of that. And, um, I guess I wanted to share that because the lengths that we go to avoid feeling shame, um, is incredible. And, you know, uh, John Bradshaw, uh, who uh, Meredith mentions in this episode, you're, you're going to hear, um, talks about healthy shame versus unhealthy shame and that a certain amount of shame can be healthy because it wakes us up that we've done something that hurts somebody else or is morally objectionable. But toxic shame is what, is what he talks, uh, about. And, um, it's a tremendous book, but, um, <laughs> my fucking ADD, uh, this episode with, with Meredith, um, we talk a lot about, um, the lengths that we will go to, to not feel invisible, how we had to feel invisible to survive and, um, I don't know. I'm having trouble putting my thoughts into words. So why don't I tell you about, uh, why don't I tell you about our sponsor, betterhelp.com? Uh, I love betterhelp.com. I love my therapist, Donna. She is uh, one of the things that I am trying to will myself to do because I really want to do it. But by the perfectionist in me is having trouble getting the ball rolling. I want to write a book and I want to write a book about my experiences, my experiences hosting the podcast, things that I've learned, and things that I feel like need a, a light uh, shined on them, shone on them, shined on them. But I'm afraid to start it. And so Donna is helping me break it up into little tiny baby steps to get the ball rolling. And... um just doing that gave me the confidence to say, oh, I can do those two little baby steps. And uh, so I've done one of them. I put the other one off for the last four days, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. Anyway, I uh, I enjoy my relationship with her and I get a lot out of it. And I think she is a great example of the quality of therapists at BetterHelp.com. Go to BetterHelp.com slash mental complete a questionnaire. They'll match you with a uh, betterhelp.com counselor and you, you can uh, experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. You need to be uh, over 18. And one of the things that I think is really cool about betterhelp.com too is you can check in with each other throughout the week through email, um, live texts or uh, computer chat, uh, phone or video. And uh, yeah, I, I love it, and uh, so have the, the listeners who, uh, who are using it. I want to read a happy moment that just... Um, I love it so much because it's so simple, but if you've never experienced depression, you don't realize how mon- monumental... This is, and this person who calls uh, herself Waves writes, the day I realized 
my depression had finally cleared. Before this day, I had been clinically depressed for over a year, meaning that every second for every day, I felt depressed for over a year. I never thought I would feel normal again. Then on this day, I did. And I want to read you these are from the shame and uh, the uh, struggle in a sentence survey where uh, under a particular struggle, people will try to describe their battle with it in a sentence or two. And um, thanks to uh, April, who uh, helped out the show, uh, she went through the surveys and picked out some of her favorite um, depression struggle in a sentences. And... Uh, Here's one, uh, postpartum depression, my heart racing when the baby sleeps because he will soon wake up and what the fuck do I do with him then? I am just not a natural at this. Uh, another person, major chronic depression. I just really want to cease to exist, but I'm too apathetic and tired to do anything about it. Somebody else, I've had depression for almost my entire life. The thought of always having this thing in my head of never being free is overwhelming. Can I really live with this another five years, ten years? Uh, my brain is perpetually constipated, and the only available laxative is to lay on my bed and wallow in my sadness. You'll never know this, though. I've got the world's best fake smile. Somebody else wrote just one word, lonely. Another person, chronic depression is like being hollow and not knowing why. Boy, that is such, oh, that hollow feeling. And just wanting, you know, just trying to search your brain for a, a way out. Um, here's another one. I have bipolar 2, and I often cycle rapidly between hypomanic highs and melancholic lows. When I'm depressed, I can't stop thinking, I want to die, I want to die over and over. Another person writes, scared to be alone with my thoughts, but also bothered by pretty much everyone. Oh my God, isn't that the case? Come over here and leave me alone. That's essentially it. Uh, another person writes, I find myself in tears more often. I wake up to do my routine, start doing uh, the breakfast, trying to keep my mind busy, but I find myself in tears. I try to ignore the tears and keep cooking. Well, the nice thing is you don't have to salt anything. Uh, another person writes, I don't really know, never been to a doctor for a diagnosis. I just know that every day I wake up, go to work, and by the end of the day, I wish to have never woken up. I lack the will to do anything or change anything, and I started to find comfort in hurting myself as of late. I'm so sorry to hear that, and I really encourage you, if you're listening, to go talk to somebody about that because you don't have to feel that way. I'm not saying that, that, help or a solution is immediate or guaranteed, but for many of us, we do find it. I'm I'm one who has found uh, help after years and years and years of trying different things. Uh, another person writes, it feels like nothing. It's a void that can't be filled. No sadness, no joy. That's, uh, what do they call that? Anhedonia. Um, I think there should be a porn star named Anhedonia. <laughs> And whenever she's getting fucked, she just files her nails. <laughs> I made myself genuinely laugh. Uh, another person wrote, close the window shades, stay in bed, no reason to leave. Uh, 
Somebody else writes, lifelong chronic low-grade depression with occasional bouts of deeper incapacitating depression. We call that a flat pancake uh, with a side of blankets. Um, Somebody else writes, the only thing that makes me feel better is helping other people, but I can hardly get myself out of bed to get a meal. It's funny how the bed figures so importantly in so many of our depressions. And the day I stopped shaming myself for taking naps when uh, I'm depressed uh, was the day that I stopped adding to my depression. And very often I will wake up feeling uh, refreshed and in a and in a better mood. But I do have trouble still uh, getting out of bed uh, in the morning. It is it is hard. Um, in fact, I had uh, a restraining order uh, filed against me by my snooze button. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting, different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the Akazaya in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) That is fantastic. I'm here with uh, Meredith, who is a uh, fellow support group person, and uh, we haven't spent a tremendous amount of time around each other. Just uh, our paths have crossed in a couple of a couple of meetings, but I was uh, moved by your lead at a a meeting um, recently, and uh, you were kind enough to accept my invitation to come talk about uh, your your life and your struggles and where you're at today. And um, how are you? I'm a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I don't normally do things like this. Are there, are there any specific fears? Um, yeah, that I'm going to like completely shut off and be in super business mode and just do my proper voice and not talk about anything and act like everything's cool or make a bunch of jo- jokes yeah. and just not... You know, I, I very much relate to the shutdown thing. <laughs> yeah. My uh, when my ex and I were in counseling, um, she she referred to it as my insurance salesman. Oh, like to fight getting upset. I just get very, very calm and matter of fact. And uh, that's yeah. to either avoid crying or yelling. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Uh, you are how old? I'm 28. And uh, where are you from originally? LA. Okay. What are, give us a broad picture of the things that you have struggled with and currently uh, struggle with or actively manage. Uh, okay. Um, well, I struggle with um, anxiety and dissociation. Um, yeah, I, I, um, I struggle with taking up too much space. I'm afraid of doing that. Um, That's such a great phrase. And yeah. I think that when 
other people who feel that way hear that phrase, I imagine a light bulb goes off and they say, oh my God, that's it. Like you can't be uh, invisible enough or you want to be seen more. Um, I'm, or neither. Well, I'm aware that I'm a very visible person. It's just something that is comes naturally to me, but I'm, I'm I think I'm more afraid of being seen. And it, would you say that you feel like you almost need to apologize for having needs in yes. the world? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh totally. So it's difficult for you to ask for help to yeah. say, uh, "Hey, this you know, here's a need I have that I would love you to meet." Oh yeah, that's like yeah. Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like terrifying. Do you do what I do, which is you you leave kind of passive clues in the hope that they realize you need something um, instead of asking directly for it? It used to drive my ex crazy because I would say, wow, if I leave right now, I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to make dinner. She'll say, why did you just ask me if you <laughs> if you need me to make you a sandwich instead of playing this ridiculous game? Oh, and yeah. I'd be like, because I'm afraid of looking needy. Or oh, are you totally. saying no? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like even this past weekend with a person I'm dating, I, I was like thinking like, well, why doesn't he just come over tonight? Because we were going to spend the next day together. And I thought, well, why doesn't he just come over tonight? So I was kind of dropping hints instead of asking. And eventually I did ask. And he was like, well, you know, I'm kind of tired. And I was like, oh, my God, I asked for too much. And then I just told him, I said, I feel like I'm super needy asking you for that. And he's like, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's just it's so, not a big deal. So then when he said it's okay, did you believe him and did the anxiety dissipate? Yes. It's more like when I say it out loud and I'm just like, I'm feeling really insecure about this right now, yeah. which has been a recent practice because in my last relationship, I did not feel safe even calling myself out without some kind of ridicule from the other person. Um, I want to ask you the question. Um, we'll, we'll get to the answer to this question after... Um, you list the other things that you struggle with, but I, in case I forget, I would like you to talk about how having needs was viewed in your home in childhood. Uh, but before you answer that question, so mm-hmm. um, taking up too much space, what are some other uh, anxiety? Um, I do have anxiety. I'm I'm a serious perfectionist. Um, I'm like blanking right now. Do you, think there, <laughs> do you think there are people who are afraid of having needs that aren't perfectionists? That always seems to go hand in hand. And they also seem to be afraid of intimacy. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a fear of like being seen and not accepted. And that's, um, yeah, I think they do go hand in hand. I mean, they have to because if, you know, it's like I can't ask for what I want because it's not the right thing to want because that would be too much. And then you're going to leave me because of this. And and you just like spiral and it's just totally nuts. Do you think that's why the love addict chooses somebody who is um, marginally interested because that person um, isn't going to get too close or because I see it. I see it very often. Perfectionism, fear of intimacy and um uh, being afraid of asking for help or having needs. I almost always see that with people who are sex and love addicts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's more about... I don't even know how to say this. Um, 
See, I'm like blanking right now. I'm just going to call it right out. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I'm like, there, yo. <laughs> uh, Meredith, there are times on this podcast where in editing, I have to cut out 25 seconds of silence of me trying to remember what I wanted to say or trying mm-hmm. to find the words to say. Yeah. So take all the time you need. Okay, thank you. Um, I can edit out pauses or sometimes it's interesting to leave them in too. Yeah. And other people are like, oh, okay, I'm not the only yeah. one that has trouble expressing what I'm feeling. Oh, yeah, I totally will just completely blank out and be like, oh, maybe, oh, okay. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I I sort of dated people that I needed to, to chase, but um, I, I really went through extremes, like either dating people who were way more interested in me and I could feel safe in that, or people that like weren't as interested in me or like disliked me in some way, but still were sexually attracted to me. It was like really strange. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it really, uh, I was allowed, I, I let myself like hide in those. I didn't have to ask for anything or I was busy taking care of the other person. Was the unavailable partner usually on the heels of the person that you felt like was smothering you and vice versa as like a, a, a palate cleanser? I don't know. I I think when I was like just um, casually dating in my serious relationships, I tended to date people that needed me more than I needed them. But mm-hmm. casually dating, yeah. So I would say that if like my in between people, the hookups. And so, do you feel like your wheelhouse is being the helper, the facilitator, oh, yeah. the making sure everybody's okay, being who you need to be in any given situation, so that that's as close to feeling fulfilled as you can feel fulfilled is. If I'm needed, oh yeah, um, then I exist. Oh yeah, and my space is valid. Oh yeah, and as long as I can like see, I'm I'm a total observer. I'm a, I'm a great. Um, that's actually in my my strengths finder. That's my number one strength. Is oh, it's not my number one strength. Um, connectedness, which is linked to observation. So I can look at the big picture, and I love doing that. I love to emotionally withdraw and like look at the big picture. And be like, oh, I see where all these puzzle pieces are and how they fit together and. And then I don't have to like deal with it. And then I can see where I'm needed and be like, oh, I, I, I see the bigger picture. So this is how I'm important. And it's just this total like holier than thou thing. It's like thing. a view from the throne. Oh, yeah. Of, I yeah. totally do it. And I mean, sometimes it's great because sometimes it, that's a really helpful thing. And I've accepted that, um, especially at work and like problem solving and stuff. But I can also see when I use it to hide in. Yeah. Isn't like, it weird how... The very thing that saved our mental stability in childhood becomes the thing we overuse in adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I very, I totally shut down when I was a kid. I mean, even my parents, like the past maybe 10 years, I remember being 18 and my mom was saying like, Meredith, you're really hard. You're just like, I'm worried about you. You're very cynical. And my dad said that to me as well over the years. He's just like, I don't really know what happened to you. You're very hard and i'm like well shit <laughs> like i couldn't really like do you read the news <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no i don't no i'm that meant as a response <laughs> oh i know yeah yes. kind of like uh yeah of course but what do you think well before we get to that question mm-hmm. so anxiety perfectionism um fear of taking up too much space any other any mm-hmm. other big things that i struggle with um uh, being attracted to unavailable people. Yeah, being attracted to unavailable people. Um, and, and we mean uh, emotionally, emotionally, not unavailable. just necessarily somebody who, you know, is like lives. 
yeah, across is, the world. Yeah, or is in a relationship or married or something. Um, it's actually not my MO. If you're in a relationship, that's a total deal breaker for me or married or never did any of that. So, um, you, you struggle with... Um, I don't trust myself. I And I'm afraid that I'm lying all the time and that I'm like, wait, was that true? Was that a lie? Wait. And then I have to like think about it and then I have to like go over it in my head and be like making sure it's definitely part of my perfectionism, but I really don't trust myself and I don't trust my own experience. Wow. And a lot of my friends uh, don't trust the world, but they trust themselves. And I'm the opposite. I think everyone else is normal and I'm completely fucking crazy. And like, I'm, I just don't know what I'm doing. And I walk around acting like I don't know what I'm doing all the time. So it's like you think the world is safe, but you aren't. Yes. Why do you think that is? Um, I was sort of, uh, it's a kind of a long story. (laughs) Well, this is the perfect place for it. Okay. Uh, well, I, um, I, where do I even start? Um, my mom probably, that probably came from my mom, um, because she was always afraid that we were lying to her and we weren't allowed to have any privacy. We weren't allowed to have any um, boundaries. She wanted us to be like the best of friends and like tell her everything. We couldn't have any secrets. And if you like said something or if I had like gone to a friend's house or something um, and didn't tell her or it, or I, I don't know, she just she would overreact when we didn't give her the entire story or even like like if we locked the bathroom door, she'd be like, what are you doing? And what? she was just very what? like, yeah, she was like, she really wanted to like, make sure she had access to us at all times. Um, and when we would lie or like, I was a normal teenager, like, yeah, you can't know, tell I, them everything. Yeah, I'd like sneak out of the house. I mean, I did some weird stuff that like, I mean, it was total like suburban, you know, everything's really actually normal and fine. Um, but she would just overreact to, um, times where I had kept something from her or, um, tried to kind of separate myself from her as like an individual. She would take that really personally and kind of react really big and um, also my stepmom, I have a very classic stepmom story. Um, um, I would I would love any stories from that highlight that issue with your mom sure. and, and with your stepmom. Okay. Um, yeah, see, now I'm blanking out. Um, I'll probably process this here because I actually don't talk about this very much. Um with my mom. Yeah, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I I mean, I can't really. She was always... My dad uh, had a lot of affairs, I guess. Um, and so she was really concerned about people lying to her. And she would ask me, I'd tell her a story or something, and she'd be like, Meredith, is that true? And I'm like, oh, I think it's true. Isn't it true? And then I'm like, thinking is it true is it entirely true or like i would tell her something that i experienced and she would tell me and then uh, how can i describe this um 
She would tell you that your perception was not accurate on sort what of, you had experienced. Yes, sort of. Yes, um, but like, like she would, she would catch, she would, she would set me up to lie to her. Actually, mm. um, now that I think about it, yeah, like because I would be like, oh, I was at like this friend's house or at this thing, and she'd be like, really? But she would actually know, and then she would like passive aggressively punish me for a while until like she was like, I know that you weren't doing that, and then there would be this big like talk and it would just be a, like a, just like a, this really big reaction to like um like me just being a teenager and like maybe like going to see my boyfriend after school for a little bit or something and I wasn't even doing anything wrong it was just kind of these little things that when you're a teenager you're trying to have more freedom yeah that's and a she natural would like, part of yeah she would go through my computer and like like try and like uh, extract information out of me from things she'd found on my computer that I wasn't aware that she'd found or something. Um, I don't know if any of this makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. And we've had many guests who yeah. have had that where locks were taken off of bathroom doors. Um, oh, yeah. Your body wasn't your own. You know, they could barge in when you were in the shower. That happened all the time. Yeah. And and that is, you know, a therapist will say that that is a form of incest. It is. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually, this is where I actually learned about that listening oh, okay. to this podcast. I was okay. like, holy shit, like two years ago when I first uh, came into the the recovery, I um, I was like, holy shit, that's that gross feeling I get. Because like my mom, like there's like, there's my mom that I experience and the energy of my mom, which mm-hmm. is two totally different things now that I know is an adult. And what's the difference between the two? The energy of my mom is like, um, my, my child perception of her. And I can feel when that comes up for me, like when she calls me a little too much, or she likes to send me things on Facebook all day. And that's her self soothing through me. And I know this. And so I kind of like, um, can separate her from her self soothing energy that she's trying to get through me and my acceptance of her or whatever it is like, um, she'll like hug me for a long time and she wants me at her house and she wants to snuggle quote unquote, which is like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm a freaking adult. You know, that's really gross. She kind of infantilizes you. Yes. Yes. And like going to her house feels very smothering for me. And that's like an energy. Um, and I don't even just pick that up from her. I actually am very finely tuned to that. With anyone like people in the program, I am mad aware yeah. when someone's trying to self soothe um, through me or through other oh, people. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I get I get uh, like my skin crawls. Oh yeah, when it when it feels like somebody right? is drinking me in. Ugh. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's <laughs> my therapist. Even her face the other day, I was describing what it was like um, when I was a kid, and my mom would like constantly come in the bathroom and like she'd always comment on our bodies and be like, oh like you have a, like a cute figure like whatever she would say and i'm like mom like ugh, like i'm in the shower i'm in my room you know please like leave and she would like stand there and i'm just like ugh. so she if you asked her to leave she wouldn't leave um sometimes she would yeah. um but she wasn't like i don't i i really don't think she's like aware of any of this i think it was just i think a lot of parents aren't. They just don't. It's like she wasn't really ready for us to grow up. And even now, like, I actually, it's interesting. I had this really interesting conversation with her recently, which I'll probably get to later. Um, and I I told her straight up, I was like, Mom, uh, 
I feel like you feel like I've abandoned you because I've created my own life outside of you. And that's just not true. And she was like, Oh, no, that's okay. And, and I just told her everything pretty much. I was just really uh, direct with her about how it was being a kid and growing up and not feeling like um, I could have my own feelings or take up any space um, because I had to make sure she was okay all the time. And it was interesting that she was super receptive. This is the first time in my really? life she's ever been super receptive. And she's like, I really want to work on that. And I just think she's at a time in her life where she's really ready to kind of look back. But, That's um, really encouraging. Yeah, it was you know? it was an amazing conversation. It was actually totally groundbreaking in my life. Wow. As an adult. And I'm really lucky that I'm like still young and she's still young and we have like time and she's kind of open to that now when before she would have kind of taken it personally and been like, I'm the worst mom. Tell me how great I am. Kind of yeah. thing. Which she doesn't do. Had she been to therapy? What had changed for her that she was receptive? She's having knee surgery and I think she thinks she's going to die. But I I really hope that's not true. But I think she's just really scared um, because her mom went into surgery like seven years ago and she died on the table, my grandma. And Mm. um, I think my mom's afraid that something's going to go wrong or something. I Honestly, I don't know. This is just what I think because she's always talking about that. Um, But I, I don't know. I just think maybe she's at a point in her life where she's, you know, just ready that's I don't know. so great to have a parent that can take the truth, your truth, in. And because yeah. so often it's not their truth. Oh, and yeah. For them to accept that there can be two truths coexisting at the same time, and they're just different points of view of totally. something. And to be able to work with you to honor your point of view is that to me is love. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. And so um, it it is hard for me to like reconcile, though, the energy and the reality. And um, and it's it it sounds like the actions that you describe are so gray. It's hard to put words to them without sounding like you're making too big of a deal of it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I experience is you can't say to somebody, can you stop looking at me that way? Yeah. Can you, can you not hug me so frequently? Can oh, you yeah. not think about me as much as you do? Because oh, yeah. if they were in moderation, those would be fantastic things. Totally. But it's hard to say to somebody, you stare at me for three seconds too long. Two seconds is loving. Four seconds makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's just such a subtle, like, I'm so sensitive to, like, energy. I'm totally, like, hippie woo-woo and, you know, whatever, yeah. and I don't care. But um, it, it really, it just, it's something, and I'm so finely tuned to it, I think. And other people are like, you know, I have friends that didn't go through that. And they're like, oh, no, they're just being nice. Like, you need to calm down. And I'm like, no, this guy is weird. I'm telling you. It's weird. They're like, no, no, it's there. He's just being attentive, and I'm like, no, but it's just, a, it's a subtle thing, and usually I'm right. Yes. So, um, so how how until what age did your mom um, not respect your privacy in the in the home? <laughs> 
I think until I moved out, really. Um, she like kind of, yeah, I don't even know if I should share this. I feel kind of, um, weird. Um, she like, will. she just kind of walks around like underdressed, like severely underdressed and, um, sort of like bends over all the time. And she'll do that even now if I'm at the house or she'll be like, Oh, I should really put clothes on. And I'm like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry because that, that is, and I don't like want to demonize her for that. Like she just, and I'm just kind of like mom and we've all been like, mom, like you gotta put clothes on. I know you think this is normal, but it's not. Um, it's a form of sexual abuse. Kind of, yeah. Really and I is. And I wonder, like, why she does that. Is it that, I mean, she, after my dad and her got divorced, it's been 20 years this year, I think, since they separated. And she never dated or anything. She just completely enmeshed with her kids. So I wonder if that's, I, I don't know. I, I should really read more about that. By the way, uh, the, the major things that you have just described... Mm. The people that I've known who have experienced a mom like yours, those are all those are like the top ways that people experience that thing. Right. No privacy in the bathroom, um, uh, examining their body, um, and um, walking around underdressed and not not really having any sense of whether or not other people are uh, comfortable with your level of dress. Um, there is a uh, support group uh, that I'm associated with uh, for people whose mothers did stuff like that. Really? Uh, yes. My mom was not ex exactly like that, but shares some of those things. Yeah. And uh, I will connect you with these people and yeah. you will be shocked at how identical their childhoods were to you in terms of what you experienced there. Okay. Yeah. It, it, um, it's a thing. It is a actual thing. Yeah. And the effects of it are so damaging. Oh yeah. Oh, it definitely is. Um, and I feel like I don't really have, uh, I never really felt like I had a right to space or privacy, um, growing up. I mean, I really would, uh, like let people do whatever they wanted to me because I was so afraid they were going to get mad. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with self-blame constantly. It's like my whole life. Um, what would you, what would your mom say when she would, um, walk around with little or no clothing on and she would expose her genitals? Yeah. Um, what, two questions, what do you think is going through her mind and how would she react if you or your siblings would say something? How many siblings do you have? Two. Um, one older, one younger. A boy, girl? Oh, two girls. Two Sorry. girls. And how would she react when any or all of you would say something what would you say and what would her reaction be, be like mom like go put some clothes on for god's sake you know just like what the hell <laughs> like just being normal and she'd be like oh yeah yeah you know she just kind of would act like like she didn't know like she didn't know and she was kind of just like oh haha -ha, like it's like funny and 
Um, you know, now as an adult, I mean, she doesn't really do it very much anymore. Um, was there an age when it began to f- become less and less? I, you know, I don't really know. I, I don't ever go to her house. Like literally, I, I don't really go because it doesn't feel safe. Yeah, and her house. There's, I just don't like being there. Um, it's a beautiful house, um, but when I'm there, my mom is not present. She's kind of caught. It's like she's like a different person. Does it, it feel like she's high on you? Um. What? Yeah, my mom definitely gets high off of of me and my siblings, totally. Um, She becomes more energized and you become uh, more kind of tired and worn out? Yeah, but she kind of like gets, you know, her house has kind of got a lot of stuff in it. Mm -hmm. It's not like hoardy, but she's got a lot of stuff in there. And she knows that and she's constantly like apologizing for herself. And she just like uh, is always saying how like fat and tired and and lazy and stupid and her house is such a mess and she really should clean it and it's like she's running around like you know doing workaholic stuff being like oh i should do this and oh i should do that and she's not like spending time she's not really being available and she's getting really caught up in apologizing for herself which i have literally zero respect for and i get really angry about which i'm trying to just be like that's just how she is right now and trying to be supportive of her as she kind of figures out what it is that she actually wants with her life instead of i don't know uh she kind of becomes a child her and my sister have an interesting dynamic Um, my sister's more of the parent my older sister um that started when she was like six or seven so my mom kind of will act like she doesn't know what to do or Mm -hmm. and my older sister will have to kind of step in and be like well, this is what we're doing. It's uh, it's interesting. So I just, I don't like being there is the long, and I'm afraid I'm talking too much right now, actually. Oh my God, not at all. <laughs> like, I feel oh like God. I'm talking too much. Like no, I'm please. interjecting at every No, please interject. Oh. <laughs> um, so have you or your siblings ever talked amongst each other about these inappropriate things that your mom does or or is it just passed off as oh that's crazy mom she's just kind of flighty and doesn't really pay attention i i don't know if we've ever i mean i maybe talked to my older sister some about this um i don't think we've really we actually had an interesting conversation a few weeks ago about my dad um which is which i it is a totally other thing which is interesting but they both sort of engaged in uh, that behavior, but in different ways. Um, and my stepmom too. And um, so I haven't, I can't remember if we've talked about it like really directly like that. Like my older sister will be like, oh yeah, I'm telling mom, like you got to stop doing that. And you know, she lives with her. Your so sister lives with my, your mom. My sister lives with my mom. Wow. How do you think your sister is coping with taking on all of that energy? Um, well, I think she was really desensitized to it for a while and she's really taken on a huge role and she's taken on so much that she did not ever need to take on. And um, she knows I like have an opinion about that because I'm very like, I'm zero enabling. I don't do that. I'm not going to enable at all. And so um, uh, with with her, she's she's now sort of realizing how maybe 
abnormal. I think it's been like a year and a half of her being like, oh, maybe I want other things. So I think she just kind of has to live in this space until she's ready to not live in it anymore is kind of the thing. But she's, I mean, she's doing well. Like she's doing really well, considering, especially the last year, she's really like done a lot of self-work and had a lot of realizations and we like talk more. And um, so I think she's kind of preparing to move to the next level with that dynamic and relationship, which is cool. Uh, How, in what ways was your father uh, inappropriate and your stepmother uh, inappropriate? (laughs) LOL. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I love to demonize my stepmom. It's like my favorite thing to do. And everyone like, um, I'm trying to think I, I should really, I'm going to call her Barbara. Um, I'm always like, oh, Barbara. And everyone knows what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, Barbara. Um, she, uh, her and my dad had a very, they have a very sexual relationship. It's like this like obsessive uh, thing. Um, and like being a kid, like I remember when he first met her, he'd always talk about her legs and like, my dad would always talk about how women should be. And, you know, he had like three girls that were just not that. I mean, I don't really know. Um, it's like, if you want, if you want to (laughs) as efficiently as possible, fuck your daughters up. Here's what walk around the mall <laughs> I know. and uh, talk about physically how you look at women. Oh God, that's literally what it was like. And I don't think he had any idea. And he would just share this, like we would listen to this really inappropriate radio show. I can't think of the name, but it was like just ridiculous. And we just felt cool and adult. And um, I was like privy to stuff I should not have been privy to. And my dad was telling me about you know, not even me, like all of us, we'd all be in the car with him. And he, my dad's a big talker. He's a lecturer. Mm. And I'm, I get really triggered by people who, um, don't have back and forth. Yes. And me so too. I'm afraid I have that. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm no, talking to I've, I've not felt that way yeah. ever in any interaction with you. <laughs> oh, thank you. And my mom is the same way where yeah. it'll be 45 minutes without. Yeah. Anyone else getting a word in edgewise? Oh yeah, it's awful, especially politics. Yeah. I mean, forget oh it. God, That's yes. the greatest thing for yes. him to get lost in. And my dream has always been with people like that to record it, have it transcribed, <laughs> and send, send it, to them, it to them, so That's they can see. Such a good idea. They can see. Yeah. No, it's true, and I mean, it's funny now because I'll talk to my dad, and he'll be like, like the other day, he called me, and he just like let loose on this whole thing for like twenty minutes. And I usually just put him on speaker and I do something else. And then afterwards I said, dad, are you okay? Like what's going on? I could feel there was a lot of anxiety and he goes, wow. He's like, I just really downloaded on you. I'm sorry. He's never said that to me. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, I'm just kind of feeling like, and he really opened up after I like, I was like, okay, you had to let that energy out. And now we can talk about what's really going on. And so that's kind of a gift of where I am now. And so our relationship is better. But yeah, I mean, he would just talk and talk and talk and talk about women. He'd flirt with waitresses. My dad is so charming. He's like this very like charming, good looking, like classic, like dude. He's like tall and like, you know, just that weird thing. And so funny, like women responding to him. And um, he would just always have these like little like quippy, like cute things like you should bottle that you know whatever you would say just something like smooth and um and with him and my stepmom just when they were together it was like 
when I first met her, I was so excited because I like love making new friends. I was like that kid that was like, I just want to make all these friends and it's going to be great. More and, people I can help. Yay. Just like, yeah, just like, but like, I was just a really social kid. Like, I just really love, I really love people genuinely. And so um, I was so excited to meet her. And I thought she was so cool because she was into astrology and she was psychic. And I'm like, that's so cool. I want to talk with you about this. And the more that I got to know her, the more um, she was was just so um, mean. And they were so like sexual together, like they would like be all over each other and like you know, my dad, at some point, I remember being like 13 or 14, and he'd be like giving us the conversation of how to like, uh, please your husband and wow, that you have the sexual power in the relationship, uh, you guys, and you have to, uh, you know, be this way. Uh, it was just like this really awkward conversation. And he would always like in terms of sex. Yeah, and I wow. remember being like, "What the fuck are you talking about? We are on vacation right now. This is really gross." And he would say that all the time. He'd always be like, and even now as an adult, he'd like he'll talk to us about their sex life. Wow. And I'm like, Dad, and I'll just laugh. I'm like, Dad, ew. Like I just try and be as normal as possible and be like, I am not listening to this, <laughs> yo. <laughs> If you weren't concerned about your dad's feelings, would you laugh or would you react in a different way? Um, now I would laugh. Um, I think before, because I'm not angry anymore. Yeah. It's kind of just like, I I think he doesn't really, he doesn't really have, my parents don't have friends, really. So I understand that he thinks that like we're kind of his friends and that's not true. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if that's something I'll ever really talk with him about. Maybe I will. I mean, I'm sort of surprising myself this year, so mm -hmm. maybe I will, but he's aware. I mean, I've, I've definitely told him like, dad, I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to know about that stuff. Yeah. Um, he'll be like, well, I'm just trying to tell you. So, you know, about relationships and he's always trying to impart his knowledge because he's afraid that we're growing up in a world with no morals and he's the last moral person and you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Isn't it interesting how somebody's in their mind, good intentions can be so damaging to somebody else. Yeah. And I feel so guilty about that. Honestly, I feel Why? really guilty because I can see what he's, I can see what uh, my parents are trying to do. And it's not malicious. It's, it's just not. coming from a place of emotional and boundary ignorance. Exactly. And I, I, I feel like guilt, I feel so much, I mean, guilt is something I deal with like all day, every day. Yes. Um, I can guilt spiral. It's like, I love it. I'm like, let me guilt spiral. I need a gallon of moose tracks when I get home. Like, yeah. sweet. That's like a great, you know, Thursday but um a gallon of what <laughs> what moose tracks ice cream oh i've never tried that oh my god it is like actually it's a joke with my old roommate if there was ever moose tracks in the freezer and she'd open the freezer and she'd be like oh my god are you okay <laughs> did you have is everything okay and i'm like oh yeah bitch like we're just it's fine sorry am i i'm cussing a lot i um, swear around here okay um i'm like yeah everything's cool or like whatever like moose yes. tracks is like my drug if i buy moose tracks is, is it, it's bad is it better than ben and jerry's 
in my opinion, but I am not. I was like raised on like funfetti cake from Vaughn's, so maybe I'm not yes. the right person to. Okay. I'm not. Like, I've never seen it in the freezer. I, I, maybe oh, really? I'm not going to the right place. It's at like Ralph's or Vaughn's. They have like a select version and they have a Denali. This is how <laughs> educated okay. I am. It's really good. Okay. It's like vanilla ice cream with like dark chocolate in there and like Reese's cups in there. It's really good. Okay. I love it. But um, it's really my get high food yeah. to like forget. I had a whole pint of uh, Ben and Jerry's One Love last really? night. Really? Yeah, and it it was Is that the, your get high food. It has been. Oh, nice. And I'm and I'm thinking maybe I need to start meditating a second time a day because obviously there's something in me. It's not a desire for sweets. I know mm. it's emotional eating. Now. Oh yeah. And I think there's there is uh, something going on in me that that I'm not comfortable with. But back to what, what we were talking about. So would that be, uh, was that the inappropriate thing you were talking about? Uh, your your step- stepmother and your father uh, being sexual? Was there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, there, we definitely had an, we had an incident. I remember when I was a kid, my dad uh, lived out in like Lancaster and um, my older sister had asked him because my stepmom at the time they weren't married and she was like can you guys like not have sex please tonight because we're here oh so you would hear it at night i mean i you know i didn't actually hear it until they like moved to the valley and like they were married whatever that that only happened once too um but this was like early on in the relationship and my older sister i mean she was probably like 14 and she just asked them because they would talk about it all the time. She's like, can you guys not? And then they go upstairs and start making all these noises like they're having sex. And she got really upset. As she should. Yeah. I mean, and she got really, really upset. And um, there was like a lot of yelling and fighting and whatever. And I remember that being like kind of dramatic. And then I woke up in the morning and my sister was gone. She called my mom to come pick her up. And then that turned into this whole huge drama about Mm -hmm. kidnapping. Like, there was a lot of, like, drama in my parents, like, divorce that was really unnecessary. Did your, when your mom picked her up, was your mom nude? (laughs) No, no, she wasn't. That would be so fucked up, Paul. Oh, my God. Why does that shock me? I just, that's so funny. (laughs) Um, No, but uh, that would be really fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) why do i feel like that should be a sketch i think about this all the time um but yeah she like picked her up in the middle of nine i guess and then we became this whole dramatic thing and and my dad and my stepmom could not understand why they were like that's so ridiculous like what and and now they like kind of deny the whole thing like Mm. it's really interesting um, but you, kind of, go ahead. Uh, do you think it, it's that people can't understand that while sex is normal and natural, it it should also be private, just like masturbating. There's nothing wrong with masturbating, but you don't do it in a at a cocktail party, no. unless the cocktail party is designed around, hey, everybody come over and you know, yeah. jerk off on my new coffee table. <laughs> yeah, really, it's that kind of party. Like, yeah, no, I think also, I don't really think. Um, I think just the low key exposure we had to like my palms are itching right now. I'm like, whew, that's like that means I'm there's something going on. But just the low key exposure of um, kind of information that we should not have had at a young age. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that they even knew because to them they probably were just kidding around. 
And I mean, but I think that's kind of fucked up. Honestly, yeah. that's really fucked up. Honestly, there's stuff that I think about and I still get real yeah. mad about. Um, but especially with my older sister, because she is like the nicest person, like she's the nicest person. And I remember her asking like, just like a little kid, like, can you guys not, that's, you know, it's heartbreaking. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And then having that, it was just like, fuck you pretty much. Yeah. And there was a lot of that, especially in their dynamic and watching my dad, um, my stepmom kind of created this dynamic, it's me or the kids, which is very classic. Um, and watching him, like, because she would, like, wear these short skirts and was very, she was very, just in really good shape. She worked out all the time, you know, blonde, she's, like, beautiful. And and we were, like, fat. <laughs> we were, like, really fat kids. And we were, like, compulsive eaters. I mean, all of us, like... I would come home and eat until I was sick and then keep eating. I did that for years. I'll, I'll still do it sometimes, not to the same degree, but it's it was pretty severe then. And we were not pretty like her. And it was kind of this, like watching my dad kind of put up with whatever, however she was treating us for, I guess, their sex life or something and watching that. And of course, you know, what does that breed? You know, a sex and love addict, right? So... um it's just one of those things. I I mean, yeah. sorry, I, I don't know if I should have said that, but that's kind of um, no. It's okay you said that. Yeah, it's yeah. that's it was just it's very obvious where, um, and I started to get my worth from how I looked. You know, at least I had a pretty face. If it did, if I didn't have a, a good body, I had like big boobs and a pretty face, and and I could be super sexy, and I could know all the sex stuff, and be like, you know, and have men be obsessed with me and watch my dad just be obsessed with my stepmom. And it's kind of a gross thing to like yeah. put together, but I mean, <laughs> as I'm sitting here weird. taking, taking, uh, all of this in, um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine the messages consciously or unconsciously that must have been put into your mind when you were a kid. Uh, obviously sex, sexiness is power. Oh, Totally. Um, I don't have needs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I can't expect to be seen in a relationship. It's unreasonable for me to expect to have my wishes uh, respected. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I literally think I'm crazy all the time asking for anything. Yeah. Even, you know, I, I'm trying to think of something that would be obvious. Splitting the bill. A man paying for me for dinner is like, what? Or like, do you want like, you know, I'm like, oh, I should be doing all the things for all the people all the time. And asking for any little thing is like, I struggle with that sometimes, too. And a lot of times I'll pick up the check just because I feel like, well, I should always pay for the check if the other person has less money than I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, and I can't even imagine being a man. Um, I can't either. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, we should talk to someone about that. Some let's point. find a man. Yeah, let's go find a man. Because I'm a boy. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing that I, I have a lot of compassion for is, you know, um, trying to be this, like, this all-powerful man culture, which is probably really exhausting to yeah. live in. And honestly, um, I do. I do feel like a man. I do. <laughs> oh, yeah, yay. I was kidding when I said I feel oh, like good. a boy. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. The last five years, I finally feel like I went from a, a, a boy to a to a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. I was just being self, self-deprecating. No, no uh, I love yeah. it. That's great. <laughs> um, so, 
I feel like we we've painted enough of a picture of the uh, inappropriateness of sure. you not being heard, totally. of you just you've been saying your needs and they are going out into the ether. Totally. Um so what other messages do you think were put into your in regards to that brain? or in general? In general, just from your experiences in childhood, uh, either in your home or uh, among your peers or oh. in society in, 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 general. in general. And one of the, was something I just want to interject is, sure. um, uh, and I say this a lot of the times on the podcast, but I think it bears repeating, is that uh, my objective is not to demonize uh, these parents. Um, it is to help somebody give weight to what happened to them so that they can give it the energy it deserves to be processed and healed. Oh, yeah. And like, thank you for saying that, because I really, um, I really, really, really struggle uh, with getting kind of caught up in my victimhood and but also not honoring that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel it's, it's like this really like weird it's duality. It's such a fine line. It's such a fine line. And it's like, and I want to grieve, but I just feel like, oh, well, that's kind of inappropriate. And also, I mean, Meredith, a lot of really fucked up shit happened to other people. And mm-hmm. I'm just constantly analyzing my grief and my yeah. quote unquote victimhood. And I'm just like, well, I don't want to deal with that. But it was interesting. Um, but I, I so uh, allow that in other people. Yeah. Like, I'm like, hey, you know what? That I, that was a really big deal. Um, and I don't really allow that in myself. So, like, I really appreciate um, that. Because, I mean, I, I struggle with that, too. I don't want to demonize my parents. But I also really want to, like, grieve that mm-hmm. and, and feel the feelings that I didn't really get to feel. So I think that's really important. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the message that you received as a child when those things were done and you and your sisters spoke up and said, ooh, can you not do that? And it was still continually done. You know, there's a message that I, on some level, don't matter. Exactly. And the child who's beaten gets that message. The child who's molested gets that message. Oh, yeah. You know, the child who isn't fed enough food Oh yeah. gets that message. Um, and so I, it's important to to give weight to that to begin uh, yeah. to heal. And I, I know you know that. I'm kind of sharing this with the, with no, the but listeners. It's, it's good to hear because I sometimes I don't know that. Yeah. And sometimes I really don't allow myself that. And tra- I, trauma is trauma. Um, it's just varying degrees of, you know, whatever, but it's the same. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, what was the question that I asked to to put on hold oh, I guess, while we came oh, back? Um, uh, needs not being met. Shit. How, how were they, uh, when you would express needs as a child, oh. how would that be? Well, I mean, you just oh, shared yeah. like if it got in the way of what brought them pleasure, yeah. it would be ignored. Yes. Would your needs be met if it was something that didn't conflict with something that they enjoyed or I mean it was I, a habit of theirs um having needs for instance did you have hobbies that you needed to be driven to go do to oh my god so funny you bring that up <laughs> <laughs> I have like I have this one time it's funny because my dad was very supportive of me being a performer mm-hmm. um and I sang for a long time and I really loved it and he was so supportive and um 
I remember this one time being at his office and I had this big solo in this like church thing or whatever when I was doing that. And I guess I'd fallen asleep and like woke up and he was like, oh, I guess we should get going. And I had like missed the whole thing. And I just remember having this whole breakdown because I like walked in halfway through the concert, just bawling and had to get up on stage. And like, I missed my solo and I was just like bawling. And then this like, I just remember that so vividly, but like, that's the only time I can remember that happening. Because other than that, I mean, my parents really <laughs> showed up um, for my stuff like that. Um Something that, that, um, yeah, anyway, whatever. That was like so traumatic. That's been coming up for me a lot, actually, that yeah. one memory. But give me some moments with your mom or your dad or both where you did feel seen, where you did have positive memories. Um, because I, I think it's really important to, if it exists and that those parents to, to show that they can be both dark and, and light. And light. Um, hmm. Let's see. Uh, when did they show up? Um, actually, later, um, like 18, 19, 20 is when, like, I remember being, oh, you know what? When I was in high school, so I was dating this drug dealer, which I did not know he was a drug dealer. Okay. This is like, you know, Brentwood kind of area I grew up in. And, um, you know, it's like everyone, all the kids are doing coke and driving Bentleys and it's really weird. And that was not my life. So I was dating this guy and, um, I had broken up with him and I guess he told the cops I was buying meth or something from him. And I don't know why. And anyway, so they pulled me into the office in high school and interrogated me for like a long time. I don't remember how long, but they like took my purse and like dumped it out. It was very dramatic. It was like in a movie or something. And um, I was just sobbing. I was freaking out. I had no idea what was going on. This is like, I was not understanding this at all. And um, they had called my mom and they finally let me out of the office. And I, I was like, you know, really young, 16 or 17. And I called my mom and I was so scared that she was going to just ream me. Because I had like snuck out of the house a few times. Like I was like, I thought I was a bad kid. And... Um, she goes, you know what, Meredith? I told them if they ever fucking talk to you again, I'm going to sue their asses because how dare they think that my daughter would do something like that? And I mean, she totally had my back. She's like, I believe you 100%. She's like, I know you would never do something like that. And I was like, oh my God, mom. Like, it just felt so nice to like hear her really support me like that. It was just great. And um, that's like the first thing that came to mind. I don't know if that answers your mm. question. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that does. She, Assuming that her major concern wasn't that the neighbors would uh, think her oh, daughter, well, daughter deals drugs. We had that a was lot, my the, first thought. Oh, I know. I, you know, that might have been the case. Yeah. That actually might have been the case. That, but maybe I, that's just me being. But uh, but see, we've cynical. had yeah, we've definitely had other instances where like my mom really cared what the neighbors thought. But um, yeah, maybe that is true. But I just felt really like I felt genuinely like she had my back because I really thought she was going to turn on me and like. Um, cause there were times where like she would kick, she, she tried to kick me out of the house cause I was dating this guy and my sister had a crush on in the eighth grade and that was a big betrayal to the family. So it was nice to hear her like yeah. have my back, you know, a little bit at that time where it yeah. was really tumultuous. Um, yeah. And I mean, with my dad, I think the first time I really like felt like he supported me is, um, so, uh, having to do with the whole thing where my mom was going to kick me out. 
she um she was like you don't you don't you can't live here anymore if you're gonna date this guy and i was like oh okay um confused why that guy um because my sister liked him in the eighth grade and i think i was 18 when i was dating him so my sister was probably 20 at that point. What? I, I don't really know. And maybe there was something going on there. I, maybe I'm, I'm seeing, I'm questioning. I'm like, maybe I'm misremembering this. But um, You're a terrible person. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go the play truth. in traffic, Meredith. Yes. Um, it, was, it was just so weird. I, my mom kind of created this rivalry between my sisters and I, which is a whole other situation. Um, but I guess that was a big betrayal or something. Like I couldn't date somebody that my older sister had had a crush on years, years ago. ago, which is a really big deal, which kind of shows how my mom views things. So I and had, that, and that you would need to move out. Oh if yeah. You didn't oh, yeah. respect that wish. Oh yeah. It was like a, it, it was very dramatic. And mm. like, this is what I mean by like having extreme consequences for things that really are not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and did you say, Mom, go put some clothes on and we'll talk more about this? <laughs> <laughs> just the irony, you know? I know. It's just the so, irony it's like, is like, have some respect for the family. It was this very, like, mob-like do, no, do you have no boundaries? Do you have, yeah, we'll think about it. Well, she's yeah, 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 belly just, dancing. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> like, woohoo. Um, it's just so funny. But yeah, so I called my dad and I said, Dad, can I live with you? Mom's going to kick me out. <laughs> and he was so excited. He was like, yeah. And I was paying rent at this point, you know, in my mom's house. And he's like, you won't have to pay any rent. It'll be so great. And he was just so stoked. And uh, and then my stepmother calls me, which always happens. And she goes, um, Meredith, uh, your father and I have a very active physical life. Oh, How would you feel God. if you just came over? <laughs> if you came home and we were having sex on the couch? I mean, wouldn't that make you feel uncomfortable? Straight up. And I was like, uh, yes. Uh, what the fuck? Like, just totally oh, like, what even God. is this? And, um, she, she said all this stuff. She's like, you know, we do this and we do that. And we really enjoy our, our time. And she just was like being really inappropriate. And, um, and I just went and she goes, and, you know, don't tell your father we had these, this conversation because it'll just cause issues between us, which she always said. And I always listened to her. So anyway, that's the backstory of this. So mm -hmm. I did not, I called my dad and I said, it's okay, dad, I'm going to stay living with mom. And he was like, oh, okay. And it was all fine. And so two years later, I was I was really angry at my stepmom for something, and I told my dad. I said, "Dad, remember when I told you that I didn't want to live with with you? It was I really did. It's just this is what um, my stepmom told me." And he got real quiet, and he goes, "Do you really mean that? Is this one hundred percent true? Because I need to, you to tell me this is true." And I was like, "Dad, this is true." And he goes, "Tell me everything else." And I told him everything that she, she had told you not to tell. Yes. Yeah. And he was like in the process of divorcing her. And that was the time, the one time in my life where I really felt like really heard and believed by wow. him. He was like going, he was gonna do it, yeah. you know? And um, did you get emotional in that moment? I, I, all I can literally remember is like driving on the 134, having this conversation. I can't remember what I really felt. Okay. I just remember feeling really safe then. Yeah. Like, okay, it's gonna be okay now. Like he believes me. Um, can and of you, course, 
Can you imagine what that would be like to have a childhood where you experience that all the time? Oh, God, no. What? <laughs> like, that's, that would be so weird. I'm so heard and valued. This is amazing. Oh, my God. Home is, is God. safe. I know. I'd probably like have a mansion and like be like super thin and beautiful. You know, like, I don't know. Like I'd have this like amazing life that like I don't think I have now, which I actually do. Um Go ahead. I cut you. I cut you. Off. No, no, no. It's okay. So you're driving. Uh, yeah, you, I just, you heard this. You felt. Uh, I felt really heard and yeah. safe and supported. And I was like, "Wow, this is going to be great." And then you know, also, I have all, I have so many stories. Like, <laughs> it's like I could write a book about this, and maybe I should. But um, yeah, um, those are really the only two times that I really remember feeling that. I'm sure there are others. I just yeah. can't think of them right now. Okay. But it was definitely later in life. Okay. Um, well, now that we've kind of uh, painted a picture of, totally. of of your experiences and, and childhood and, and adolescence, uh, I'd like to talk about how these patterns and these messages has, have affected how you view yourself and your place in the world and the people you choose to surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. Um, what are... What are things that you, when you think about it now with a brain that's beginning to heal and have a healthier perspective, what are some moments where you look at your actions or things you tolerated and go, oh my fucking God, <laughs> do you, can, are there oh. any, are there any that you can oh. think of offhand that, oh. <laughs> that will help the, help the listener feel less alone in, uh, uh, uh yeah. in their, their, wounded decision making oh god i'm like turning red thinking about this like oh i put up with i I put up with horrible shit um and things that maybe you have done as well yeah 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 if you're comfortable no totally um things that i put up with yeah you know mostly the things that i i put up with in that were wildly inappropriate were in relationships and work situations those are two big ones for me um can you give me a bullet list or yeah some, yeah i mean i i um either one let's see uh relationship wise um always dated people with um with issues, my first boyfriend was a pretty severe alcoholic, um, and he, uh, I put up with a lot of crazy shit from that, um, um, and then I dated someone who was like, um, I, yeah, he had a lot of problems. Anyway, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking, uh, obviously I'm feeling vulnerable, um, would you would you prefer to not talk about this? No, I think it's important. Okay. Um, I just I also don't want to sound whiny. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think this sounds whiny because okay. I mean, this this the context of this is not to say oh oh poor Meredith look at all yeah. that she's been through. Yeah. It's about the ripples of being raised without boundaries. Yeah. And the the, the things that we expose ourselves to and the lack of enforcing boundaries Can and I, not knowing what's appropriate as yeah. we become on our as we go out on our own yeah and choose people yeah i think you know a lot of times sexually like i actually have a moment i can think of but i'm not entirely I, i'm trying to think if i can share it in an appropriate way which i probably can 
there, uh, if it's appropriate for you or for the podcast? Yeah, for either. <laughs> or for, the, for the podcast, actually. Oh, no, for me, podcast, it's fine. The podcast will be Nobody fine. cares, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I actually, when I was um, uh, still actively in my addiction, I was... Um, sex and love addiction. Sex and love addiction. Yeah. I was... Uh, I had met this guy who was very nice to me at a time I was locked out of my apartment. And um, so naturally I was like, well, maybe he was not attractive to me at all. And I thought, well, maybe he's so nice to me. Maybe he'll be my boyfriend or he's the one. And I just being crazy. And I remember he, um, him and I were hooking up and he, he, performed oral sex on me if that's okay to share and um i wanted to reciprocate and he said no i want you to always remember that i did this for you so that in the future if you don't want to do this for me you'll remember this and i was like wait what what and he goes, yeah, I just, you know, I, in the event that you're ever like not in the mood to like do this to me, I want you to remember that I did this for you and accepted nothing in return. Wow. Okay. And he said this to me dead serious. And I went, okay. And I kept seeing this guy, Paul. I mean, I was like, and he was doing horrible stuff to me, like just really degrading. And I was just like, oh, it's okay because maybe this is fine. And, you know, maybe this is like, you know, cause he can be really nice, but he was like a total bum. And I like paid for everything and I picked him up and drove his ass around. And I was just like, that's how I, that is the kind of stuff that I settled for pretty much all the time. Um, and also a lot of gaslighting. I was in a relationship pretty recently, actually, that involved a lot of gaslighting, probably, um, some of the worst emotional manipulation I've experienced, which I feel a lot of shame about because I've been in recovery for three years. And um, I really thought I was in recovery in that, in that one. Um, and I mean, I was actually looking back. I totally was. I, it was just an interesting learning experience. But I also had a boyfriend of five years ago who um, – would say just really mean stuff to me and kind of compare me to his ex-girlfriend who was really thin and, and had fake boobs and whatever. And, um, I'm so afraid I'm oversharing right now. Um, and he told me once we were talking about, um, I don't know, blowjobs or something. And which is something I like, pride myself on because I was always a fat kid. I was always a fat girl. And I was like, if you're fat, you have to be good at something, which is <laughs> <laughs> totally horrible. And, um, and, um, we were talking about it and he goes, he's like, yeah, well, that's not really like you're, you're not, you're, it's not your strong suit. And I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, it's one thing to tell someone to turn left or right. It's an entire, another thing entirely to teach them how to drive the car. And I was like, what? I don't understand. Which is like, I guess it's just a really weird way of saying that I'm not going to blow jobs or something. But he would always like do these weird, like he would say things to me like that, that were kind of intellectually degrading. Right. And um, I settled for a lot of that, thinking that the men I was with uh, were much smarter than me. And they knew something that I didn't know. And I was so lucky they were putting up with me. Mm. 
is pretty much how I've lived my life of like being so grateful to these people that treat me horribly. That for you're, so grateful, with me. You're, you're so grateful they're not treating you more horribly. Oh, I know. I know. I'm like, well, they're not hitting me. You know, uh, they're, and I don't even know what my standard is. I really honestly don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm how would really you, weird. how would you react? And thank you for sharing, uh, that, those things. How would you give me some snapshots from a relationship where the person was the opposite and how you would feel? Like when they treated me really well? Yes. When, when they were, when the, you felt like they needed you and oh. you were the one in, in control. Oh God. Oh, I have so many of those. Uh, from really early on, my first boyfriend, um, he was obsessed with me. I mean, I think even now, if I called him today and said, I want to get back together, he'd do it. He's pretty, uh, yeah, he was kind of like, uh, yeah. Um, uh, must've been a high at first, huh? Oh my God. I mean, well, him and I, um, I, you know, I probably, I still get sad actually thinking about him because we were very close friends from when we were kids. We were like fifth mm -hmm. grade. We met in the fifth grade and then we dated, uh, after high school. But yeah, I mean, I really felt super powerful in that relationship. I was like, this guy will never leave me. Like it was the only relationship I've ever been in where I'm like, I could literally do any, and I kind of did. I was just going to ask. Oh so yeah. <laughs> how, did, how did you wield that power? Oh God. Well, I wasn't actually all bad. I, I, I we were constantly on a break so I could hook up with other people. <laughs> so your sex addiction was, was oh, my God. rearing its head. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I, cause I was so scared that I was going to be with this. I loved this person, like in the way that you can love someone when you're 18 or something. I, I really thought we were going to be together forever cause he was my best friend in the world. And he really was, um, at that time. Um, but there was like this other side to me that I'm like, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid he's the only person I'm going to have had sex with and we're going to be together till we're old. And I don't want to live my life like that. And then he's kind of drunk all the time and I don't know if I'm okay with that. And it was just this like weird thing. Um, was there a point early in the relationship where sex with him was enough and you didn't desire sex with another person and then that evolved into you desiring to stray outside that relationship. I mean, sex with him was always enough. That's really how we connected. He's he's definitely I mean, he's a self um he he's told me he's, you know, a sex addict as well, mm -hmm. which makes total sense because that's completely how we would connect and reconnect. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't really so much the sex. Like I'm not, um, it wasn't really the sex. It was the, uh, I, I didn't want him to, I wanted to have other people obsessed with me. <laughs> that is such a great sound bite. It's just that like, is such a great sound bite. I, I just oh my wanted, God, do I love that. Okay. Um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted other people to just be obsessed with me. And um, I was constantly um, intriguing, which mm -hmm. is a word that 
I'm familiar with. Kind of flirting and trying flirting. to lay the groundwork for something. Yeah. And trying. Yeah. And just. Um, so it was a drug and you wanted more of it. Oh, definitely. And I mean, sex really, I could have taken it or leave it. Really, even now I could take it or leave it. It's not really about that. It's just like. The pursuit obsessive, of it is, is often the, oh, yeah. a bigger high than the oh, yeah. act of it. And it's definitely the power. Um, I felt so powerful. Um, Validation. Oh, my God. Yeah. I could just. <laughs> like yeah. even today if i like put on the right lipstick i can walk around and be like i'm the queen <laughs> and everyone's obsessed with me which is <laughs> totally weird um but yeah i just i wasn't ready to just uh, i i just didn't really understand even and also like i've never been the kind of person where i could picture myself being with someone for the rest of my i don't even know what that's like like the idea of getting married is so foreign to me and so confusing um, what's the longest you've ever been in a committed relationship? Two years. And what's the longest you've ever been monogamous with somebody? Um, if you're comfortable asking. Oh, that. no, no, that's private. cool. I, he was really the only guy I ever cheated on. Okay. Technically. Uh, I never really cheated. I, I probably intrigued though. But I mean, like, yeah, two years, okay. year and a half, you know, um, those are my longest relationships. Like, usually after that, something happens. Okay. Um, but were you ever abusive other than uh, uh, being unfaithful to somebody? Were you ever abusive uh, in a relationship? No, that's not really my M.O. So um, what, what, what is it? What, what is the payoff um, with somebody who is obsessed with you uh, other than feeling like you're worshipped and it gets you high? Is there, is there anything else? No, because I don't really okay. actually want to deal with that. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't really like, I mean, I now I now it's like different. I, I shouldn't speak in present terms, but I never really wanted to deal with being vulnerable and what being in a relationship actually meant. Because I, I literally have no idea what that really even means, like being in a relationship um, past the kind of obsessive, cat and mouse chase mm -hmm. chasing part who has the power today yeah really really um i have no idea uh what that's like and i got kind of a, a taste of it in my last relationship um and i'm getting a taste of it now uh dating this person um that i'm dating now and um yeah i, I my mind just completely blanked um Sorry, can you tell me, can you ask me that question one more time? I forgot what it was. Okay, good. <laughs> um, let's see. Is it the payoff of... of yes. Was people? there anything other than the, the, the yeah. high of knowing that you're wanted? The no, validation No, because it. it's like, it's so easy to hide behind that. It's yes. so easy to just be like... Um, I'm this like pretty sexy, like manic mm. pixie dream girl, which yes. I've completely perfected. I love mm. taking people out of their comfort zone and showing them something amazing. And I'm going to change your life. Oh, Amelie. Oh, ha, 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 ha. let's go on a chase. Let's go solve a puzzle mystery. The, one of the reasons why I asked is because very often, uh, as you know, somebody is both a love addict and a love avoidant. Oh, yeah. And if oh, they're yeah. not being the one uh, pursuing, they're the one being pursued which is a high for a short term and then you get to that place where it gets a little too intimate and you almost feel revulsion at this person wanting to get close to you because your self-esteem is so low and then you can become angry 
at that person. And I guess that's what I was wondering is, did mm-hmm. you ever have a, a place where you began um, to feel cornered in a relationship? Because I would imagine it would bring up those feelings of being cornered in your home where you had no privacy, where somebody wanted too much of you and you couldn't say no. I mean, yeah. Um, I I think I I only really dated. I think my first boyfriend was really the only person that I felt like that with. Okay. Um, everyone else was pretty avoidant. Um, and I was kind of chasing deliciously avoidant. Oh, it's wonderful. Yes. Uh, chasing them. Um, and I could never quite get them. And then when I was uh, casually dating people or sleeping with people, they could never quite get me. So, um, that was always really, um, interesting to kind of see that dynamic. And it was interesting to look back at my last relationship and see how much I was a love addict and how much I abandoned myself, uh, when I really, cause I like love being so different from other women. Like it's my favorite thing. I'm just like, I'm not like that. I have no needs and I'm the cool girl. And I just constantly tell myself that, um, until it comes crashing down. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, <laughs> no, I just spend time with me. Like, oh, no, I like when you buy me flowers. It's great. But, like, I don't, um, I, I, like, don't know how to, like, um, like, have needs and, and um, things like that, of course, which we've talked about. But... Um, Give some examples of how you ignored your your self-care in this oh, in this relationship. In this relationship. Is it just like you completely open your schedule up and wherever and whenever they want to do something, you will cancel plans or oh, yeah. eat food you don't want to or see a movie that you secretly fucking loathe the right. thought of seeing? Yeah. You know, something that happens for me is I stay up too late. I am an old lady and I need to respect that more. I like to be in bed by 10 and up by 6 and have my mornings all quiet and like do my thing. Um but what I what I do like to do is stay out really super super late, you know. Which I, that sounds really silly, but that is something. Um, what else? Um, ignoring my needs. Uh, this last time, when you say you like staying out super late, you mean when you're in the relationship I'm, and you're ignoring. Yeah, the needs if I'm of, yeah if I'm ignoring my needs, so. I'm. Um, and is that, but it, is it something that you enjoy doing that or you feel, comp- you can't say no? I can't say no. Okay. Um, now I'm much better about that. I'm kind of like, well, you know, I'm getting kind of tired or I'm, it, it, and it's little things like that because once I start ignoring those little things where I'm, and I'm not getting enough sleep and then I'm like, um, and then I eat more sugar to stay awake. And then it kind of just becomes, it just, it just slowly uh, snowballs yeah. out of control. And then, and then your self-esteem starts to dip. Yes. And then you need something to soothe your low self-esteem. Yes. And it's usually something that makes you feel worse about yourself. Yes. And um, this last time, what ended up happening, um, in my perspective, um, was I was dating someone who was who wanted to be thought that they wanted to be in a relationship, but did not have the emotional capacity for that. Um, and he was trying to start a business and I, uh, was asking for some of his time, which is like, (laughs) to me, I mean, if you've been with someone for like a year or more, I think seeing someone a couple times a week is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Did you ask through his secretary? Uh, no, but I will try that next time. (laughs) Um, so, uh, 
let's see, I, yeah, I was asking for his time and he would kind of push back or um, be upset. There was an energy, there was an angry energy there. Um, and, and I would just turn on myself and be like, oh my God, Meredith, you're so needy. I can't believe that you're asking for this. Like, can't you tell that like, he's like, it was like, it was my self-talk really that did me in. It wasn't really my actions. It was just my self-talk. I completely left that. I got out of that relationship feeling like I was the craziest, neediest, Mm -hmm. most insane person in the world. Um, And that's what really does me in is as soon as I turn on myself, um, everything else kind of outside of that goes to shit. And looking back in my other relationships, um, I turned on myself pretty early. And so I allowed behavior that was physically traumatizing to me that was emotionally traumatized. There's a lot of that. Um, that did not happen in this last relationship, thank God. But um, Can you be, be more specific? More specific? Yeah. Um, if you're comfortable. No, no, that's okay. I'm so terrified of oversharing. Um, and then being this abandoned is, by the listeners and by you and well, I'm a, I'm always <laughs> afraid of being abandoned by the listeners, but <laughs> but generally I find the more difficult it is to say something on this podcast, the bigger impact it has on people out there listening who feel mm-hmm. like they're the only one. Okay, um, great. Um, let's see. Uh, what's an example? Um, letting people have sex with me when I said no, uh, that's something I really, uh, had to honor when I was doing my, um, fourth step resentments, uh, was, uh, the kind of covert, I would say, um, rape and really like honoring what that really was for me. Um, because to me, it was like, you're, uh, they're, they're my boyfriend, or I'm, we're already naked, you know, might as well, even though I was like, well, wait, 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 um, let's not, and then they wouldn't stop, they wouldn't stop, and then they would be like, and then they would tell me, um, oh my gosh, I can't even get emotional about this, um, they would tell me, um, you're, you're just so hot. I can't control myself and how it was like that. I heard that all the time and even being like groped in public by guys I was dating. Like I was a doll, um, having hands put down my pants or my shirt up my shirt, uh, in public at bars out with their friends, like treating me like I was, uh, like just, like not even a person like I was just something to touch and and they it just made me feel really like that really triggered me um and that happened in my last relationship we were getting off of a plane and I guess my ex thought he was being playful but he was like putting his hand up my shirt like on the plane in front of everyone and I was like stop but those kind of little things that are like I feel like my whole life there's been like a thread of very like covert experiences I've only had one really like violent thing um but mostly it's been pretty like covert um so um 
sorry, I'm blanking again <laughs> talking about this. But um, yeah, like really even just, and then also like blaming myself, like I, having um, like experiences with, with guys I was casually dating and we were kind of like, you know, going to have sex or something. And I said, you know, like, let's not. And um, they would just be so caught up in it. And me not understanding why I was so upset afterward. It's like, well, and then I would talk myself, be like, well, girl, you know, you put yourself in that situation. What else were they going to do? Of course. And just the self-blame that comes with that. Um, talk, talk to somebody who's a listener right now who recently experienced that mm. and is beating themselves up and saying you should have left the room or some other horseshit self-blame yeah where somebody I'm, wasn't listening to them yeah um it's okay uh if you don't want someone to do something to you they shouldn't do it it doesn't matter um and there's no it's uncomfortable and it's really scary it's really it's it is really scary um, and I think it's really important to, um, yeah, I mean, you didn't do anything wrong. It was just someone didn't listen to you and that is their problem. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you're gross or you're not a person or you don't, deserve to have space or you don't deserve to have privacy you don't deserve to like uh you're not like a i'm trying to think of the word a, like a lesser person you're not like subhuman you know everybody deserves to have boundaries and like be listened to um even if you're in an emotional relationship a committed emotional relationship with that person no one has the right to do anything to you that um you you have not agreed upon previously like that's just <laughs> yeah and and even if it is covert because that mm -hmm. stuff is really the i think some of the some of the hardest stuff to deal with yeah because it it's Be hard to justify it, it's very easy to, to listen to the minimizing talk in our brain oh yeah it wants to blame us or saying that we're making too big of a deal and, and i've shared this before on the on, on the podcast but um uh, I just want to share it again that I have been that guy in the past and mm -hmm. I'm so deeply ashamed that I couldn't see that I was not respecting. Uh, I, you know, I thought that if you're not, if you're not pinning that person down or they're not yelling or they don't look scared or upset, you know, if they have a smile on their face, you can just keep badgering them. And now, of course, I look back in horror and am deeply ashamed about that. Um, but I feel like I would be a hypocrite if I didn't share that, that, that I would hear what you have to say and talk about how terrible that is and not be honest that when I was younger, I was the type of person that didn't know and to anybody out there listening 
who will never get an apology from a person who did that to you, male or female, I would like to say that I am sorry. And, yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think that's really important. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've also been that person. Are you comfortable talking about that? Sure. I think that's something uh, to talk about. Uh, I uh, definitely um, coerced uh, men into having sex with me. If and they how, didn't how, really how, want to. How did you do it? Um, I remember this one time with this guy. He wanted to take it, you know, kind of slow. And um, I just, you know, to me at the time, I was so angry. And I was like, you're a stupid man. I bet you anything. If I touch you enough, I could do whatever I want to you. And you... You, you said that to him or thought no, that? I thought it. Yeah. And that's, um, that's something I... I I've been kind of dealing with like my anger um, with men. I've actually been dealing with that pretty actively for two years. Um, but I remember if I was like, if I touch you enough, you'll do, you'll just, you're just going to be putty and I can do whatever. And um, I was right sort of, but like after that, he like, cause he was like pretty, he was interested in me like mm-hmm. emotionally. And he was um, a really nice, interesting guy. And, um, I got like kind of pouty. I was like pouty that he wouldn't have sex with me. I did that a lot. I would pout Mm -hmm. like, what, what do you mean? And, um, yeah. And I remember like having sex with him and him just kind of like looking at me being like, okay. And then afterwards him just being kind of weird. And I never heard from him again even though we had like had plans and stuff. And I look back on that and that was actually right before I came into program. What, what do you, you know, the first thing that I, a big revelation for me as I began to heal and look at the stuff that I had experienced, uh, because I, I had had shame from childhood for one of the times that I was experiencing a boundary being crossed uh, by my mother. And I became aroused I had always thought that that meant that the person is to blame mm-hmm. uh, you know that I was to blame or yeah. the person is to blame that yeah. that it's a it's a green light you know if blood goes to that region it's a green light oh yeah and and of course now I know that that's not the case it's and not. that the body and the soul can experience two completely different things at the same time yes and yes so I again repeat that for the person out there that that still thinks um, if there's arousal, yeah, that gives the other person a, a, a right to, to oh, do totally, whatever. and it doesn't. Um, what do you think and feel now as you as you share that? Um, I feel really sad because actually thinking about that person, he actually had a pretty sad life that he shared with me, and um, I mean, I definitely owe him an amends big time. Um. I think having had the that experience and kind of um, like I definitely don't feel justified as a woman having done that and I think maybe some people would or 
like it didn't really feel like righteous anger, I guess. It's kind of like, um, it's just really sad. It's a sad thing. Um, Do you think there are some women that that would feel justified because because women classically have been on the receiving end of um, sexual coercion? You know, I actually don't know. More. I don't know. I think that's how I thought. I, I think that's how I thought that I was going to feel. Um, like that I was, I thought I was really in my power at that I time. See. But um, I um, I definitely don't feel like that. And I, I really don't believe that you can get justice by doing to someone what they've done to you. Like, I really don't. I really yeah. don't believe that at all. Uh, I feel really, really sad about that. Um, and I feel sad for myself, too. Like, I feel sad for him and for me because it's like... Um, um, and for, and for all the men that have actually done, uh, that have done that to me, um, cause I sort of wonder why they felt the way that they did. You know, I'm really interested and I'm curious about men and, um, why they felt so out of control or had to like assert themselves. Like I know why I felt that way. Um, but I kind of wonder why did you feel that way? Um, I just wanted to feel powerful, honestly. I wanted to feel yeah. like um, I could make anyone do anything because yeah. I had so much power. I think that's how I felt, too. Yeah. Because I think there was a part of my brain that said, you know, as a child, you know, my mom crossed boundaries. She never touched my genitals, but she crossed boundaries in having access to my body as a child that were yeah. unnecessary times where I was naked, that it wasn't necessary and times is just, you know, warning lights were going off this and I just, you know, push them away. And I think the message in my brain was there must be something very, very powerful about my body. Mm -hmm. If this person is shirking their duties to protect me and actually be the person that they should be protecting me from. And I think I wanted to experience, I think there was a high in that of, oh, yeah. of this is me at my most powerful. That oh, yeah. You will, you, at this moment, it doesn't sound interesting to you, but um, you will change your mind once you, you know, we have a little foreplay or, you know, whatever. It feels disgusting to even hear myself saying it out loud. But, <laughs> I know it's important to um, talk about. It is. And it's so mm -hmm. fucking uncomfortable. Yes, it is. It's so uncomfortable. Oh. And in, in program, as you know, we have really, really deep conversations with, with people and we often let things we share things when we're in, in, in that shame. And I was sharing something with somebody from, from our support group one time. And I was just, just in a self-loathing and self-hatred that I had hurt women. And, and she said to me, are you still doing it? And I said, no. She said, then forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. And that helped me. But yeah. there's still a part of me 
that has a really hard time accepting that there are people walking around in the world that I have probably traumatized. Yeah. I mean... And now I feel like I made this all about me. No, no, no. I think it's actually really important to talk about. Uh, No, but seriously, I think it's really important to talk about because um, I don't think we hear enough about that kind of stuff as women. You know, I walk around pretty... I feel feel safer now. Um, I've sort of come to terms with um, a lot of... um, stuff that came up for me when I first started dating again, after taking a a long break from dating, um, a lot of like, uh, covert disrespect, men not listening to me, uh, the objectification, the general feeling of unsafety that I felt, um, oh, I just had a memory pop up. That was funny. Um, but then, um, I, I feel, um, but I'm very aware of how of my um, feelings of unsafety. But I don't think we hear enough from um, from men about their experience, especially men in recovery. It's almost like um, like I want to I want to make space for everyone to talk mm-hmm. about it because I think it's important to talk about. Um, this, this might sound this might sound really weird, but I was reading an article like a couple of years ago about a guy who's in a, a a pedophile support group. I'm not Mm -hmm. kidding. And, um, he's never acted on it. He's just aware of it. And he goes, there's a difference between someone who has this disorder and someone who is a rapist and acts on it. Mm -hmm. There's two completely different things, completely, completely different things. And, um, I thought it was a really fascinating perspective. And I was like, okay, why aren't we hearing these perspectives? Like you talking about this and how, you know, you feel about this and how, you know, what you do in your life to um, get into the solution. If there is one. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, um, I think awareness is really important. Um, I can't think of where I'm going with this, but I'm just saying that I'm really Mm -hmm. grateful to like, listen to you talk about this. Um, And I would love to have a guest on who um, is a non acting um, pedophile. I would, oh, yeah. um, or or somebody who who is in recovery yeah. uh, from it, because we don't learn anything by just demonizing people. Yeah. And honestly, the person who has those urges and doesn't act on them is a hero of of sorts, um, because they are fighting a war within themselves every day. Yeah, and yeah, they don't choose what turn. None of us choose what turns us on. Yeah. And, you know, exploring that, questioning that, I mean, that's half of the work that I, I mean, I think, you know, people that are working on themselves, they do. And I think it's really, really important to just question, question everything, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I think a lot of fantasies too can, can, it's important to look at a fantasy and say, is this something that um, I could healthily explore through role playing? Mm-hmm. with a safe partner and consenting partner um or is this something that i am um just fueling in isolation on my own where every day i feel like i'm getting closer to doing it in reality and those mm-hmm. to me are two very different, different fantasies um 
one which absolutely somebody should go for help mm-hmm. and the other one i think could bring a couple even closer together yeah no i agree with you um i took a a break from watching porn for a long time because i was only wa- i was watching progressively more violent porn um and now of course i know why um but at the time i was just like oh like that's just just normal mm-hmm. um i don't really know why i brought that up but that just kind of reminded me of that um and why 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 were you oh um and i just say that because you brought that up because i my my oh no i think it deserves a yeah 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 my main addiction is like uh is is causing myself pain Mm -hmm. i'm so addicted to causing myself pain um in any way that i can and um that was so incredibly triggering for me and it would bring back this like full body trauma um you're addicted to causing pain for yourself in in what way? In in really any way, as long as I can feel um, uh, shame, sadness, um, mostly shame. Um, that's something I'm I'm pretty addicted to shame. Like when I started reading "Healing the Shame That Binds You" by John oh, Bradshaw. Such a good oh book. my god, my whole yeah. life <laughs> was yeah. completely changed. Yes. I was like, wow, I really have the shame addiction pretty intensely. And, and are you talking about harming yourself? Like emotionally. Okay. Um, you're addicted to harming yourself in it, physically, emotionally, sexually, um, mm-hmm. socially. What 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 are we talking yeah. about? Um, well, when I was, I mean, before, when I was acting out, um, I would harm myself in all kinds of ways. I mean, really. <laughs> Um, like like the allowing people to do um, whatever or making myself available for things that I really wasn't comfortable with um, uh, um, embarrassing myself um, Un- unintentionally or intentionally sometimes un- mostly unintentionally but but sometimes intentionally, um, like just being really ridiculous in public, making super inappropriate jokes at my own expense. Um, um, that's something I really struggle with. Um, I do like what my mom does, like, oh, I'm so fat, I'm so this, I'm so blah. Um, objectifying myself is a huge one that I do. Um, but also like now being in recovery kind of realizing like there's a fine line between objectifying yourself and empowering yourself through mm-hmm. ways that could be perceived as objectification, which are not, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't know how to define the difference, but sure. I know that there is a difference. Like some people, um, nudity is empowering. Some people mm-hmm. nudity is not. So I think it's just two people's experience. Right. Like with your mom, I get the feeling that nudity is used as a tool um, to control, yeah, and and to um, assert power in a way that that isn't um, uh, consenting to the other people in the room, whereas yeah, um, 
you know, a nudist camp or yeah. whatever uh, is, is awesome. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if it was my mom, it's like, um, a way to sort of objectify herself in a way. I think it yeah. might be, there's, I think there's definitely like a shame thing right. that is, is carried on in, in the family. Yeah. It's probably in my mind, an objectifying of everybody in the room because to be able to do that, you have to, take away the humanity of other people and not think about their needs and what it might be doing to them. Yeah. 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 I mean, I haven't, I really haven't thought about this a lot. Actually, this is really the first time I've talked about all of this stuff. And I I cannot tell you how common it is that uh, of especially mothers that do this um, to their daughters. Mm, That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, I had, I really didn't even think about this stuff until I listened to your podcast a few years ago, yes. and I was like, oh, wow, that's a thing. Yeah. And there's a book called Silently Seduced, mm-hmm. which is an amazing book about covert incest. Yeah. Um, and uh, that book helped me. Yeah. Helped me a lot. Um, was there some other stuff that, that you wanted to talk to, uh, or talk about uh, in oh. relation to... That I feel like we've we've covered enough of the sexual stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, like no. It was me thing. because I I am very. Um, there's a lot of things that I'm I'm very curious and passionate about uh, when it comes to those subject. Uh, yeah, I am that too. subject matter. Yeah, because a it is close to my personal experience, and I always want to know that I'm not the only one that thinks or feels this way. Yeah. Uh, number two, I think it's not talked about enough. And there's, uh, it's not out in the light in the mm-hmm. way it should be in our society. Um, and uh, there was a third one, and I can't remember what it was. But um, anyway, uh, I want to talk about your experience with dissociating. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> Which I would imagine... Yeah overlaps with anxiety ex- experiencing feeling cornered as a child yeah your body's not yours mm-hmm. um, oh yeah 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 talk talk about uh, yeah. uh dissociating how, when did you first do it how did how do you ex- how does it manifest itself in you um i I dissociate, I guess, in a couple of different ways. Um, I will either completely blank out and like kind of wake up in a conversation, um, which I don't really do as much anymore unless I'm really tired or I haven't gotten a lot of sleep a few days in a row. Sleep is very important. Everybody sleep. <laughs> Number one most important thing. Um, um, let's see. When I was younger, you know, oh, actually... I, oh my God, I can't even want to say this. Um, I talk to myself literally all the time. Like even walking here, I like talk to myself out loud. And then I thought, oh my God, Paul's totally going to hear me talk to myself right now. <laughs> like, I, I, um, I would actually pace back and forth in my room and kind of re-experience things. Or like replay out things that had happened and like 
almost like have commentary with myself on it. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, go ahead. Where you are narrating what is happening or are you yourself, you know, rewinding the situation and you're saying what you wanted to say or how you wanted to act? Um, Yeah, some of that, but also like narrating. Okay. Almost. Can you give me an example? um, Like I'll be having an experience, but at the same time I'm judging myself and making commentary on the experience. Oh, I call that Wednesday. Okay, yeah, right? <laughs> like, it's so time. normal. Like, oh, my God. Because to me, because I, I, I think that's a dissociation in a way, but I, that's literally how I live my life. And it's not what it used to be because I'm awake. I'm fully aware of it now. Mm-hmm. When before, I would kind of, like, be blanking out or completely emotionally absent, Um I was in a lot of triggering job situations. I actually can't remember a lot of things because uh, the jobs I was in was so, they were so triggering that I would just not remember Mm. a lot of the day and I would kind of blink and like my day's over and I'm like, oh, okay. I don't really know what I was even doing. Um, Or like if I was like out with friends, I'd kind of dissociate which would be a way for me to kind of like justify me like acting badly or something. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you experienced the one where you realize that you haven't been paying attention to anything anybody has said and suddenly yes. somebody wants to know your opinion yes. and you have to try to piece together little audio snippets yeah. from the last 20 seconds oh, yeah. and pretend like you knew because you're so fucking embarrassed that you can't. Focus. Oh, yeah. 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 It's interesting that you say that because um, so when I was younger, I had a lot of I had night terrors starting when I was four years old, um, which I don't really know why that happened. Um, that's actually a whole other thing that um, but I had a lot of anxiety and I would have panic attacks all the time about strange things. And I was kind of this like almost like hyperactive kid. Um, and in school, school is really triggering for me, actually, because I, I wouldn't really comprehend what the teacher had said, because I think I was dissociating. Um, and my parents thought my mom thought I had ADHD. So she put me on Ritalin. And I was so angry, because I felt like I wasn't being heard. And um, that wasn't the solution to the problem, because... I just kept dissociating during school um, and kind of my whole life, like living my life either in a dissociated state or a extremely high panic state. Um, and now looking back, because I was in such an unstable family environment where there was a lot of extremes. So I was living my life in extremes. And you weren't you didn't feel seen or or safe no and i was being medicated yeah which i was so resentful about even now i'm like i'm i have a weird thing about medication yeah. i'm like pissed about it but like everyone else it's okay if you're on medication mm-hmm. like that's totally normal but you know like i'm cool with it with other people but with me i'm like super triggered about it um and um see there we go <laughs> um has anything uh triggered you in our conversation 
As far uh, as dissociating goes? Yeah, something where you're just, you know, you get that, you know, that flash through your body of like, oh, this is fucking uncomfortable. Oh, um, yeah. It's been this entire time. Okay. Like, every time I'm like, oh, what were you talking about? Shit. It's like, I can only get so far, okay. and then my body's like, and you're done. <laughs> and we're done talking about this It's almost now. like a polite butler that yeah, comes out yeah, and yeah. shoes everybody out the door. <laughs> you're done. Bye. Meredith has heard quite enough. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she is now going... She must go retire to the parlor. <laughs> yeah. She's presently elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, even talking about... Um, like, I felt so much shame as a kid because I thought I was so dumb. I just thought I was really stupid and not good at school and um, not good at a lot of anything academic. Um, which is not true. I'm actually like... I'm actually super smart. I'm just going to say that. I'm like super smart. <laughs> Look at you all recovered and I'm like, with yes, self-esteem. I'm smart. I'm a smart person. Um, but yeah, I really I really struggled with it. And I didn't really realize I was dissociating until I got into therapy, which was like six years ago or five mm -hmm. years ago. Um, Your therapist said, I think you're dissociating. And you said, who are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't remember actually how that how that came up but um but um yeah I mean really like I don't remember a lot of things that happened really like day to day when I was younger and maybe that just happens like in mm -hmm. life you don't remember a lot of things but um now I I have to make a conscious effort to be like I am so sorry I did not process anything that you just said can you repeat that mm. Because I want people to know that I'm interested and that I'm, I don't want to hide that from people, really. I'm super, I'm pretty active about it. I'll be like, okay, I'm sorry. Tell me again. I really, I want to know what you just yeah, said. That's good. Or I'll be like, you know, for some reason, I'm not processing what you're saying. Mm -hmm. uh, like, so I have to make a real conscious effort and, um, yeah, even like reading is is sort of triggering for me because I would read and then dissociate from reading and think that I wasn't smart enough or mm -hmm. something. I don't know. I I link those two to get dissociation in my intellectual abilities, um, and so of course I like became like the the sexy girl so I could like hide behind that and not have to work on my intellectual stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean dissociation plays a huge theme in my life. Um. I like to, uh, one way I like to act in is I like to relive embarrassing situations. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, when, all the time. When Meredith says act in, uh, she she means as opposed to acting out, you know, being promiscuous, lashing out at people. Um, acting in would be withdrawing, denying yourself yes. uh, uh, things that are nurturing. Yeah, or um, actively Isolating. shaming myself. Yes. Uh, which is something I... I, I have to work on, I have to be so conscious of because I will like, you know, it'll be, I'll be in like in the morning and I'll be in the shower and I'll just be like, remember that thing that you did when you were 16 and like everyone laughed at you and like, like I just, mm -hmm. just these like things or I'll remember something I said to somebody that I thought was funny and they really didn't think it was funny because like my sense of humor is mm -hmm. a little off color. Um, that's definitely a way that I like, you know, will dissociate. Um, so, so how is that different than just 
remembering that time you were a jackass? Um, You'll go into it in depth? I'll go into it in depth and like completely bodily relive it. It's not even just like, oh, like, I remembered that thing. And then you kind of move on. It's like reliving it. It's almost like... um, like PTSD almost where you can't get out of it. Mm. I don't know if I, I've, I've heard other people talk about this. This has definitely happened to me. I, I struggle with some PTSD stuff where I'll be triggered by something and I'll bodily completely relive it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's a way. Um, I mean, that's not dissociation, but to me it feels like it. Cause I'm not, well, if you're not present, I'm completely I mean, not present. Yeah. Like I'm not even half present. It's like I'm. I like closed my eyes for like two minutes and then opened them. Oh wow! Um, I don't know if that makes sense. So it's like shame-based civil war recreation. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah, things like that. Um, that um, that I I do. Um, and sometimes I just can't control it. I just have to be like, okay, it's it's Thursday. It's eleven in the morning. What are you going to do? Like, I have to really be like, okay, I'm going to take a shower and then I'm going to brush my teeth. And then what am I going to have for breakfast? And I just literally have to talk myself step by step into staying in the Mm -hmm. moment and not getting lost or kind of blanking out. Um, Even like driving, I drive a lot. Um, My old therapist um, taught me how to be aware of the color of the cars around me. So I would be always present. Mm. And I could focus on what I was doing. Um, so my mindfulness practice has been huge for me. Um, One yeah. of the things that I struggle with is um, I will uh, future kind of dissociate, you know, not just go, oh, you know, I wonder how that meeting is going to go. I will imagine the meeting in such depth and it's always something going badly in the meeting and i picture somebody saying something to me and then me spending minutes upon minutes thinking of the best thing how i'm going how am i going to react in a way that avoids shame so it's like i i create this shame-based scenario and then i put myself in it and I imagine myself struggling in that shame-based scenario. Like, it's going to come true later this afternoon. I got to be ready because it is going to be a shit show. Oh, my God. That's so funny you say that. I do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I think that then that's like a way for me to, like, insulate myself and, like, be pleasantly surprised by life. <laughs> because it's like... <laughs> Like, okay, this is what's going to, like, this is all the events that could happen. And this is like, and to me, I instantly go to the worst thing. Mm -hmm. And then it happens and you're like, it's is magic. Yes. Yeah. It's almost like (laughs) a high. Oh, yeah. It it, It is a high. If it's not terrible, if it turns out not terrible or even positive. And then you're like, oh, my God, there is a God in the universe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's totally. I do that all the time. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Because it is more than just the, oh, I wonder what they're going to say. Oh, yeah. It's very, very detailed and very, very much. I forget what somebody is saying that's talking to me. I forget a program I'm watching or a book I'm reading, and I have to rewind or go back to the next page or, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I do that a lot when um, I've asked someone for something. 
um, or I've attempted to make plans with someone I'm dating or I um, brought something up that was like uncomfortable for me uh, with somebody, I'll be like, oh my God, and like waiting for them to respond. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, it, I'll lose hours. Mm. <laughs> like, I just will. I'll be like, oh my God, this is all of the things that are going to happen with that. And then they just come back with, yeah, cool, fine. What? Uh, briefly, because our uh, my battery is, is getting oh. low, uh, what are the ways that you, you do uh, your mindfulness? Um, uh, I, yeah, I mean, just really like, uh, putting one foot in front of the other, like, what are you going to do next? What is, what is the next step after this? Um, what are you wearing? What do you look like? Cause I'll look in the mirror and not recognize myself. Um, can you feel your feet on the floor? Yes. Sense the feeling of your hands? Yeah, totally. Um, I actually chant meditate because it helps me to stay present mm-hmm. Um, and I do a type of meditation where my eyes are open. So I, it forces me to stay there instead of getting lost in my head. Um, again, the car thing, the driving and being like, where are my hands? Who's around me? What's what's going on? Just 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 like little things like that. Like if I'm talking with someone, I'm like, okay, what what are they saying? Let me go. Let me just be really sure. Like, how does my body feel? Okay. Those Great. things. Uh Let's do three fears each, and then three loves okay. each. Um, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start with a fear. Uh, I am afraid that I repeat myself too much on the podcast, um, sharing something, uh, either an I a, a uh, something that I believe in that I want the listener to hear. Um, or something that I've experienced that I want the new listener to hear and that I'm losing regular listeners because they're like, oh, this, I can't take any more of this motherfucker repeating himself. <laughs> that my people-pleasing is killing me. That I so badly want to help somebody who's just learn, uh, just discovered the podcast that I'm shooting myself in the foot with people who were otherwise on board with it. Uh-huh. Okay, is that... That's my. That's one of my fears. One of your fears. No, you okay, and, fear. and I share my fear. Uh, um, I'm. I'm really. <laughs> I'm really afraid of. Um, why can't I? I'm saying blanking. Um. I'm really afraid that um, I'm that friend that nobody really wants to hang out with and (laughs) that um, it takes a lot of energy to uh, spend time with me and people resent me for that. That's a great one. And that's a common one with, with guests. That, that we've, but we've I, I want to be so different, Paul. I'm so different from everyone else. What do you mean? I'm so um, cool. I am afraid that I am going to um, think that the the cure to eating too much ice cream is to get a dog, and then I'll realize that I can't give it enough attention 
I will somehow let the dog down. I will either not spend enough time with it, um, and I will feel selfish, like I am giving it a mediocre home just because I'm lonely, and and that uh, one day it will get out and it will die, and I will feel as much or more pain than I felt when Herbert died. Oh my god, <laughs> that's I'm one so of the things sorry. that I've been <laughs> I've been thinking about recently. I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like you have really good fears. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, there is a price to pay. Yeah, right. You do not, you do, like, should not envy I'm that. Like, uh, um, I just live my life in fear. I can't yes. pinpoint it. Um, uh, another fear. I, um, I'm actually horribly afraid of being tortured, and I think about it all the time. Like, like I kind of walk around thinking of, like, if I see a random person, I'm like, that person could do these really horrible things to me, and I like think about that. Do you do you think that that is one of the reasons why you're turned on by porn, where there's violence? Is that like a a way of letting that anxiety out through sexualizing it? Um. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, also kind of a way of like controlling it. Like this is on right. my terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I won't thing, be I won't be caught off guard. Okay. Um, what, because a lot of people are turned on by things that scare them. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, or things they're morally opposed to. Interesting. In reality. Yeah. Um, in the pornography, is the violence being inflicted upon? one particular type of uh, like one gender on the woman or the man or yeah it's uh, usually like a young woman being coerced by an older man okay. pretty much i mean it's not like there's no like hitting or whatever it just kind of is aggressive okay. so yeah that kind of stuff um, well, that brings up in, uh, my last fear, which is that uh, I'm afraid that I uh, steered the conversation towards sex too much with this and um Listeners are going, oh, he's so creepy. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that's actually, thank you for saying that, because now I can really talk about this. Um, I'm afraid that if you air this, uh, that I talked too much about um, what a slutty girl I am. <laughs> or something horrible mm. like that um and that the feminist community i'm going to get a backlash from the feminist community about something like um not being uh supportive of uh of women in some way um Boy, you and I handle criticism really well. Don't we? Oh <laughs> We're, like, real good. Oh um, yeah, even though um, this is... I, f I, I feel very passionate about this subject, and I um, support this type of uh, communication yes. very I, strongly. You I, can't, know? I can't think of a, th a single thing that you've said that, that would upset anybody. I think, uh, if anything, okay. your candor has endeared you to... Uh, the listeners, because you've been so open and honest and, and vulnerable. Um, here's what I hate about you. Okay. No, uh, <laughs> let's do. Let's do. Uh, 
<laughs> Let's see how much time we have. Eleven percent battery. Okay. Let's do three loves okay. uh, each. Okay. Um. I love when you taste something that has like a spice or something in it, and you know that that person that made that loves food so much that they found the best type of spice that they could find you know like like if it's got cinnamon in it it's it's cinnamon from madagascar where you know they pay an extra five dollars for it because it just gives them because they want you to have the best experience with what it is that they've made that's great i love that too um Hmm. I love watching someone get so I love watching someone nerd out about really anything like just watching someone completely lose their sense of decorum to excitement about anything. I don't care what it is. Um, I mean, yeah, I love that. I think that's one of the most magical um, things ever. <laughs> I love when somebody um, looks at something, some something I uh, made, either a piece of furniture I made, or um, you know, a box or a cutting board or something, and I can see that they're not just being nice; that they genuinely are like. Oh my god, I love that. And and I am reminded that what I did took effort and thought and patience and dedication and that I'm actually not as lazy as I think I am. Oh yeah. Or a burden, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not just being nice. Mm-hmm. Um What else do I love? Um, I love uh, I love um, the original Michael Kors fragrance mm-hmm. um, because my great grandma wore it, and I remember my very first job at Sephora and smelling it and feeling like and and not knowing that that she had worn it and smelling it all around the store and being like, oh my god, she's here! Oh my god, that she's dead! <laughs> and you know, every time I smell that, I just feel so warm. I I love the. I guess it's more like fragrance reminders. Yeah. It's really well, important. they say that the sense of smell is most closely uh, related to emotion. That that yeah. triggers emotions most strongly. Yeah, I totally get that. There are smells associated with um, uh, forest mm-hmm. that bring me back to my childhood pleasant memories in childhood of exploring just having the day free doing whatever you want playing in the leaves you know whatever um that are when i smell them there's there's fondness but there's also this melancholia because i there was melancholy when i I originally uh, uh smelled them yeah um one more love each i think we can make it okay Here's a fucking really obscure one. I love Elton John's platform shoes that had goldfish in them. 
I'm sure PETA is oh, not yeah. crazy about those. Whatever. It was 40 years ago. Can't but, please everyone, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, I love the outrageousness of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. Um, um, I love, um, I love nurturing people like people that are nurturing, like I, there are, there are like four people in my life that I describe as a warm blanket fresh out of the dryer Mm. and like hugging them. Like I, I, I love that feeling. I feel completely home and that feeling is just, I love it. I found that in support groups. Right. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, some groups. Some. Sometimes. Yes. You know, it depends on the night. You know. Depends on the night and the person. <laughs> it depends but, on yes. it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Meredith, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Paul. Truly one of my favorite favorite guests. Um, man, I love when guests go go deep and uh, lay it all out there. It, uh, it also makes it easier for me to let go of anything that uh, I feel like I'm, I'm struggling with with so many thanks to uh to meredith uh this episode will soon be transcribed and available on our website many thanks to accurate secretarial for donating their time and uh, and helping out the show hold on one second i want to tell you about <laughs> that was loud that was unnecessarily loud i want to tell you about um Apologies to any of you with headphones uh, who who have, are now picking yourselves up off the uh, floor next to the treadmill. I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter. Uh, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because finding great talent can be tough. Thankfully, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why... ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within just 24 hours. There's no juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, F-R-E-E. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mental. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mental. And let's do one one more time in a really high voice. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mental. This, oh, before I uh, jump into the surveys, there are a couple of different ways that you can support the podcast if you feel so inclined. You know, we really, really depend on um, monthly donors uh, to keep this going. And uh, we can always use help. And you can become a monthly donor for as little as a dollar a month. Um, If you donate at the $5 uh, and above levels, you can uh, qualify to get um, participate in raffles. For instance, uh, we raffled off of a hotel room for the weekend at the Biltmore 
where the uh, where Podfest is happening. And our winner uh, also got a free weekend pass to uh, to all of Podfest. So um, you can get bonus audio, uh, bonus shows, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash mentalpod. And I'll put the link on our uh, on our website, but um, it helps greatly. You can also do a one-time uh, donation through PayPal, uh, but I can't give you any freebies that way. And I know you're all about the freebies. Uh, you can also help us by um, using our uh, URL. If you're going to buy something from Amazon, uh, go to our homepage, click on the Amazon logo, and then it will take you to a page where... Whatever you search for from there on um, in that session, uh, if you buy it, Amazon will give us uh, a little bit of money, and it doesn't increase the price of what you're buying at all. And that's another great way to help the show financially. You can buy T-shirts um, through us is another way to help the show. We have some really cool T-shirts, some with the show loco. We have one that people have been buying, which makes me very happy. Uh, it's a picture of my late dog, Herbert. And it uh, it says Saint Herbert, and um, that's another way to help the show. You can also help us uh, non financially by going to iTunes and writing something nice about us, giving us a good rating that boosts our ranking and that brings more new listeners to the show. Um, and finally, just spreading the word about the podcast through social media uh, that greatly greatly helps. Okay, here is an awfulsome moment filled out by I'm a casualty. And she writes, I have bipolar depression, and I've been really struggling with my suicidal ideation this past year again. I've been in a manic state for about three months now, which is very out of character for me. So I've been very aware that I'm about to crash any day now. God, that has got to be terrifying. Well, that day was yesterday. Today, I got the courage to talk to my husband about it again. Meanwhile, my husband's big toe has been hurting a lot, and he can barely walk on it. He was texting his brother, who is a physical therapist, about the symptoms as I started to explain that my suicidal ideation had come back. We got out my suicide care plan and discussed the next steps, and I was in tears. I asked him to take my medication away, told him uh, my therapist said uh, that he should take the knives as well. So my husband is packing up every kitchen knife and my five separate bottles of medication into a plastic target bag to prevent me from hurting myself while he's at work tonight. And as he ties the bag in a knot, I ask, so what did he say about your toe? I love the ones where you know there's no way somebody could have made it up. It's just way too... Way too bizarre. This is a shame and secrets survey that was filled out by a guy who calls himself Devo. And he is uh, straight. He's 28. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. When I was about 15, my dad told me a story about a time when, as a small child, I was supposedly sexually assaulted by a bus driver. I think I just dissociated from it, and I told myself that it was just him rambling. He was on a bunch of pain medication and out of it a lot, but he never really rambled something that specific and reality-based. I continued to ignore it until I was maybe 20 or 21, and I had a strange experience. I was having sex with my girlfriend at the time and got a wave of memories of this event and a really disturbing feeling. 
She noticed it, and we talked about it. I tried to accept it as real. I asked my mom if she knew anything about it, but she has always denied it. I feel as if she may be repressing some knowledge of it. My my dad died before I was able to ask him about it again. I don't believe I will ever know if it actually happened. That is one of the things that is so difficult for um, people who have all the symptoms of having been sexually abused, but they don't have a memory of it or the memory is fragments or very, very hazy. That is a that is a particular uh, type of, uh, I don't know, torture might be too strong of a word, but um, a demon. Uh, ever been physically or emotionally abused? Uh, he's been emotionally abused. My mom was a very severe hoarder. She still is. She's also got a lot of her own mental problems, but has never been willing to see a therapist. Um, well, that makes sense because I honestly have never heard, you know, somebody who is a, you know, gigantic hoarder who loves their weekly uh, therapy visit. I'm, I'm sure they exist somewhere, but it just, it's almost like the hoarder is building a fort, you know, to keep to keep the feelings out, to keep to keep from having to connect with with human beings. Uh, I believe that the extent of her hoarding constituted emotional abuse, maybe even physical abuse. I'm not sure. For most of my youth, the only area I had to myself that wasn't covered in stuff was like half of an old couch, and I had to move piles of boxes to get out of my, quote, room. I never talked to therapists about it when I first started seeing them at 13 or so because they would have had to contact social services and remove me from the house. So I just got into the habit of not thinking of it as anything that could be contributing to my problems. I moved out at 17 and have only been back to her house a few times. We still have a good relationship, and I'm only angry about it sometimes." If you have to hide it from social services, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's probably abusive. Um, any positive experiences with the abuser? If my mom's hoarding really was abuse, and I think it was, then, well, she's still always been there for me and done everything she could to help me, especially with my mental health issues. And what a great example of the fact that this isn't about demonizing that person and saying, oh, they were a bad parent. It's just giving weight to what happened to you so you can process it. You know, the, a lot of good people do shit that's, that hurts people. And it's not because they mean to. It's maybe because they're, they're just not well or they're wounded or they don't know. Darkest thoughts. I get weird urges to do absolutely strange and inappropriate things sometimes, like kiss strangers or grab and eat something really gross. I have really violent thoughts, and I'll come up with plans to hurt others I feel have wronged me. I have detailed sexual fantasies about people I know that I feel really guilty about. Lots of self-harm and suicide thoughts. Uh, Dude, I don't know about you, but that sounds so par for the course for being a human being. Um, Most people I know who are really honest experience those things. People who who feel things deeply. Um, Yeah, you are not alone with that. Uh, Deepest, darkest secrets. Uh, There have been times in my life where I've been absolutely convinced I was carrying an STD, which somehow has never happened, and fucked someone anyway because I kind of hated them because they were willing to be with me. 
Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Group sex. I've never done it, which makes me feel jealous when I hear of others doing it. It also makes me feel low self-esteem because I've never found anyone willing to do that with me. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I love you. Why? Obvious reasons. Um, I always forget to add to that question, who would you like to say it to? Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? Success in my creative endeavors. The love of someone who can actually give me what I feel I need from a relationship. A sustainable grip on my sanity. Have you shared these things with others? I'm constantly open about my focus on being creatively successful. And I'm lucky in that it's pretty rare for people to mock me or tell me I'm wasting my time. I guess I'm pretty honest in general about everything. How do you feel after writing these things down? Nothing different, really. What would you like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't give up. Thank you for that. And, you know, regarding my thoughts on regarding the uh, the creative stuff is, you know, for years I, I went back and forth between doing what I thought stand-up audiences wanted to hear and what I really wanted to do. And it was always a real compromise because, you know, you, you have to make a living uh, when you're, when you're doing it full time. So there's a certain reality that you, you have to go along with. But, um, when I was able to do material that pleased me, it, it, it usually didn't please the audience as much. Um, but there was more satisfaction in it. And there was always, um, when I was people pleasing as a performer, it, it never really sat well with me, even though my career was probably more stable that way. It kind of defeated the whole reason of getting into a creative field to begin with. You know, it's like, you know, I want to be able to express myself. Well, it looks like I better sell out if I want to pay the bills. Well, you know, then why not sell out and do something that doesn't tempt you to be, uh, oh, shut up, Paul. These are more, um, struggle in the sentences about depression. I, I love this one. I don't even know what it means. I feel like a stapler suspended in jello. Uh, somebody else writes recently when I weep on public transport I feel more rage than shame uh, another person writes so many people are happy and I can't help but feel like I'm just doing something wrong oh my god yes oh my god yes like an alien you know like I am just a fucking alien uh, like an endless falling pit uh, major depressive disorder. It's like an on-again, off-again lover. He comes and goes as he pleases, not caring at all what havoc he leaves in his wake. He holds me, comforts me, and protects me from how good my life has gotten. Wow, that's deep. Wow. It does, man. Depression has a way of just putting plexiglass between you and anything good in your life that you want to feel. Uh, another person writes, creepily and overwhelmingly manic depressive. Uh, 
Now the person writes, Bipolar 2, at the movies, white-knuckling it through the trailers because you know soon the lights will dim, the feature will start, and you can once again cry in peace. Another person writes, Unipolar depression, and I'm assuming that this actually happened with this person, um, but they write, Unipolar depression is like eating a fast food hot fudge sundae under a hot blanket in the dark. As your dog chews on your vibrator like it's a bone somewhere off in the distance and you hear the head and shaft crunch beneath his corner craw. If you did, if that is just a flight of uh, fictitious fancy, uh, well done. Well played. Uh, another one writes, uh, oh, it's nothing. I just feel like a worthless waste of life every three or four days. I'm getting used to it after 40 years. Somebody else writes, like trying to sprint in a vat of molasses. Now, the person writes, clinical depression feels like being trapped in a collapsing blanket fort. Suffocation, warmth, sometimes comfort, a constant need to sleep because it's so comfortable and easy to just close your eyes and forget about the constant sense of impending doom. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, yes. Another person writes, like I can feel the slow, slow, excruciating pain of every moment of every day slipping through my fingers. Oh, that is the worst one. That is that feeling. Um, the, and it's so captured so well in the Pink Floyd song, Time. It's, oh my God. Sometimes, like, if I'm depressed and that song comes on, I'm like, I love the music to this song, but I can't listen to those lyrics because it feels like it's describing my life. Um, but I don't feel that way anymore. Um Major clinical depression. Nothing I do or say matters. Uh, here's a feeling I get a lot uh, when my depression is bad is I feel like not only like I made a mistake, I feel like I am a mistake. Like I am just like even the way I'm walking is not right. You know, like just everything about me is just wrong or phony or a waste of effort. This is, uh, thank you for, for uh, all of you that filled out that uh, struggle in a sentence survey. This is uh, an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself <laughs> bipolar light now with lemon. Hold on, I got to get a sip, sip of tea. That's right, I'm drinking tea at 11.52. It's going to be a late one. 11.52 at night. Uh, so her awfulsome moment is, I uh, began to develop feelings for a work colleague who at first did not feel the same way. I was needy and lonely, a manic alcoholic that was determined to show him we were meant for each other. He had his own major issues stemming from childhood trauma, and he was extremely cut off from emotions or relationships, and he was also dealing with alcohol issues to the point of becoming very sick. Sick. He was hospitalized many times and almost died. I see now that it is sad to want someone so desperately who does not want that from you, but I kept at it in my own passive-aggressive way, and he finally came around after 
at least a year of building trust and friendship and showing vulnerability to him and letting him open up, heal, and be himself. Looking back, he was actually a total dick, but I see that it was from abuse and drinking. Not excusing it, but I can see he wasn't at all fit to have any sort of relationship, and clearly I ignore those signs along with my own dysfunction. We've been together for a bit of time when one day, sitting on a sofa, watching college football, which I fucking hate, I had this clear, sobering moment. This person is not right for me. What am I doing? I was frozen in this moment. I then sat through the rest of the game, trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this after I had stuck with him and let him trust me and slowly forced my way back into his life by turning myself into what he needed. A few weeks went by and I was panicking. Then one weekend, I hadn't heard from him. I lived two hours away. So I called his brother to check on him since he had serious health concerns stemming from liver disease and he had had a seizure and was on the floor unconscious because he had not been taking his meds. From this incident, he had short-term memory and some long-term memory loss. In the hospital, he had no idea who I was. I could have bolted, but I didn't. I stayed for a few months through his recovery, but then just as I was beginning to distance myself from him, I met the love of my life, my now husband. Out of respect, closure, or guilt, or just the need to own up to my part in this terrible drunken couple years with him, I called to break up with him, and he accused me of never wanting a relationship to begin with, even though I'm the one that had to wear him down to spend time with me. He called the next day because he had no memory that I had broken up with him. And for several days after, I had to keep answering his calls and breaking up with him over and over again. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. That is so awfulsome. That is so fucking awfulsome. That has to be in a movie. That has to be in a movie. Um, I'll save some of these depression ones for uh, for next week. Uh, this is another shame and secret survey. And this is filled out by a... Uh, hold on. Sip of tea. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself, I masturbated before this. She is straight. In her 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, um, I would uh, say that is not uh, accurate. Uh, having read your survey, uh, I would say it is totally chaotic. Uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I feel sexualized by my dad, who is 50 years older than me. It doesn't happen all the time, but I'm starting to have flashbacks to certain things he did or said to me when I was younger. He's recently taken to kissing me on the cheek when he sees me, and I'm slightly convinced that's what's been triggering these flashbacks. He's always been hyper-focused on looks when it comes to women. I don't think I've ever heard him describe an interaction between him and a woman without first making a comment about her weight and her appearance. One time, when I was 14, we were looking through pictures together at a local charity event that I had helped out at. The event was outside during summer, so I was wearing shorts. In the picture, I'm standing amongst a handful of middle-aged women. He turned to me and said, Look at you. You look beautiful. You've always had such nice legs. 
Always? Always? I was 14. If our conversations go past small talk, he'll start making comments about my appearance, telling me how attractive I am, how sexy I am, and how I should be dating more attractive men. I feel uncomfortable around him all the time. I cringe when I have to hug him and want to throw up when he kisses me on the cheek. I was recently looking back through some old photos of me as a kid, and in every picture with my dad, I look so uncomfortable in my face and my body. I don't know if I'm projecting or not. Maybe I am. Uh, From what you have described, no. No. It, It sounds to me like your body and your soul are screaming to you, this person is sick and not safe, and they are creeping you the fuck out, and your instincts are right, that this person needs to either change or hit the fucking road. Just my two cents. Um, I've always had this feeling like I was sexually abused when I was younger. Well, not when you were younger. I, I mean, still to this day, what your dad is doing, that that's sexual abuse, the things that your dad was doing, you know. Sexualizing your child is a form of sexual abuse. And so many people don't understand the difference between a compliment and sexualizing. And and I don't know if I can even put it in words, but you know it when you feel it. You know it when you are the object of it. Um, uh, I've always had this feeling like I was sexually abused when I was younger and have fucked up nightmares about my dad raping me. I have other nightmares where I prey on young girls. It's me, except it's not, if that makes sense. I'm always much taller and older than them. I never touch them, but the attitude I have towards them is incredibly sexual. I've started seeing a therapist about all of this and more. Oh, so much more. Isn't mental illness fun? But still don't know how to act around my dad when I see him. He's an emotional, angry, functional alcoholic. He sounds like a terrific guy. I've watched him beat family pets drunkenly chased my mom around the house and walked in on him watching porn in his office. I'm trying not to be bitter, but I'm starting to hate him. How could you not feel hatred to somebody who has completely ignored your humanity? There is no excuse for leaving your door open when your children are leaving your door unlocked. If you're going to watch pornography with your fucking children in the house, there is no excuse for not locking uh, your door. Um, it, I could go on and on. I could go on and on. Um, uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused, obviously. Uh, she writes, my ex, the guy I lost my virginity to, to used sex as a weapon. If I didn't want to have sex with him, he'd give me the silent treatment until I would. Every time before we hung out with my friends, which was rare, he refused to leave until I had sex with him. He'd go through my text messages and my Facebook messages and constantly accuse me of cheating on him, which I never did. I'm the child of an alcoholic, so I'm loyal as fuck. Uh, While we were dating, I had a breast cancer scare. My mom had just gone into remission a few months earlier after rocky battle with stage 3 breast cancer. I was terrified. I went to the oncologist my mom had seen the day before my birthday, too. Welcome to being 19. Life can get worse. And she confirmed that I had a tumor and needed a biopsy. 
The biopsy went well, but was emotionally and physically draining. That night, I went over to my ex's place so he could comfort me. Boy, how could this go wrong? Uh, all I wanted uh, to do was watch movies, maybe cry and go to sleep. By the time I got to his place, my boob was starting to hurt bad. I was in physical and emotional pain. When I got to his place, we started watching Archer, except he kept trying to kiss me. I pushed him away and rolled over to go to sleep. He rolled me back over and started grabbing and undressing me. He shoved his tongue down my throat and started humping me. I laid there in shock for a few seconds, feeling completely sick and in pain, wondering how in the world he could be so hard and why would he try to fuck me right now. I burst into tears and screamed, No! I was sobbing and hyperventilating. He scooted to the end of the bed, sat up, and began to cry. I hate it when you cry, he said. I was just trying to do something nice for you. Wow. Wow. I scooted to the end of the bed and rubbed his back while consoling him. I hope if, if you filled this survey out and you're hearing me read it back, you hear how fucked up that is, that he turned that around on you, that he's the good guy and you're the bad guy. What? I mean, he's he is a cookie cutter of your father. He's objectifying, he's narcissistic, he's selfish, he's emotionally immature, can't see anybody else's needs because he's so wrapped up in his own pain or, uh, you know, discomfort or need or whatever. Um, once he stopped crying, I told him I just wanted to go to bed. I curled up on my side, ready to spoon. He took this as me shutting him out and said I was hurting his feelings. This is hard to read. <laughs> I apologized and rolled onto my other side, my boob throbbing in pain, and fell asleep on my biopsied breast. Uh, exactly what the doctor had told me not to do. It was one of the worst moments of my life. I fucking hate the show Archer now. Every time someone tells me I should watch it, I want to stab them in the face with a fork. By the way, use a spork. It doesn't go in as deep. Um, yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to experience that. And I'm so sorry that you, that your role model for males as a child was so bad that you couldn't see from a mile away what a disaster this boyfriend was. Um, that's, that's, you know, when we're raised in environments with terrible role models, for some reason, we, we try to relive it and the people that we pick thinking we're going to change him this time we're going to we're going to get it right and it never it never works it never works and then we blame ourselves i mean i suppose we do have a part in that yes we choose that person but it's it's coming from such a damaged unconscious place just as i'm sure your dad's action and your ex-boyfriend's actions are coming from a damaged unconscious place but um it's still so uh um, any positive experiences with the abusers? One time he got me really nice rain boots for Christmas. <laughs> that is fucking awful. 
that that is the best you can remember. That this guy once got you nice rain boots for Christmas. There was probably even a selfish reason for him. He probably wanted to have sex with somebody in rain boots. Oh my God. Uh, darkest thoughts. I fantasize about having sex with a dog. It turns me on and makes me feel sick at the same time. Those thoughts make me feel like I'm seriously fucked up. The fantasies only started a few years ago. I have no idea where they came from or how they started. I feel morally wrong every time I think of them. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. What you're turned on by has no bearing on your morality at all. And, you know, I thought about this survey after I read it, and I'm going to read some, some, some more stuff, but um, let, me, let me read more of it, and I'm going to um, run my mouth. Uh, darkest Secrets. I'm such a little snooper. Uh, when I was little, I went through my dad's bedside table drawers. Terrible idea. Parentheses. I found a book and didn't understand what it was until I started flipping through it. The cover is very inconspicuous. The book was an erotic novel about a guy who would sexually torture women and keep groups of them locked up in his house. Every time a new woman came to his house, he and the women who were already there would sexually abuse her. I was horrified. I put the book back after reading for about 10 minutes. I would see him reading it before bed at least twice a week until I moved out of the house. Um... I just want to stop right there. There is nothing wrong with somebody reading that book privately on their own. Nothing wrong with that. But having that book on your fucking nightstand when you know kids snoop through the house and reading it in front of your children, even if the cover is blank, that is so... That is so dehumanizing. That, that so sends a message that I don't give a fuck about anybody except my addiction or whatever it is that, that it was driving your dad. Um, years later, I snooped through my mom's bedside drawers and found her vibrator. Before realizing what I was doing, I was in my bed and masturbating with her vibrator. Once I finished, I was horribly, horribly ashamed. I felt so guilty and fucked up. I washed it off and put it back and cried until I fell asleep. This happened three more times. I still feel so horrible about it. I feel like my soul is rotten. I feel foul. Every time I think about this, I feel so disgusted in myself, especially because I used to, I used it while watching bestiality porn. I only like the videos where it seems, and I know this is silly, consensual between the woman and the dog. The last time I watched a video like that was years ago, but I still watch videos of dogs mating when I get off. I feel so disgusted by this. I can't even talk to my therapist about it. I'm still able to have a normal sex life with my partner. I love having sex with them and I'm turned on by them, but I always watch dog videos when I masturbate. It's disgusting and confusing and makes me feel like I am the human equivalent to a flaming pile of shit. Um, all of which you are not. All of which you are not. We are all so fucking complicated in what we've been through, what turns us on, what scares us, what we're attracted to. Um, yeah. Um, 
sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize about having sex with the lab of a family I used to babysit for. Nothing makes me feel worse about myself uh, than that. I have the feeling... Uh, let me read some more, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some of my, uh, my thoughts. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell my dad just how much his drinking affects our family. Actually, I probably have to yell it at him. I have a lot of strong feelings about it, and he's kind of deaf. Look, I can't imagine how much I'm feeling rage at your dad right now. I can't imagine how hard you have had to stuff these, these feelings down. Uh, my mom says she hasn't had a real conversation with him after 5 p.m. in over 20 years. I want, and I feel anger at your mom for just staying with this fucking guy. Ugh. I want to tell him how much that hurts to hear and how much I see it hurt her. I want to tell him how fucked up it is to drunkenly beat dogs in front of your children and how scary it is when he burst into my room in the middle of the night drunk and yelling at me, asking if I know where my goddamn mom is. I want to tell him how uncomfortable I am around him all the time, how fucked up it is to sexualize my body, and how when boys tell me I have nice legs now, all I want to do is throw up. I want to tell him how much it hurt to grow up with a dad who was either gone or drunk. I want to tell him all those things so badly, but I don't know if I did, he'd be drunk already and wouldn't remember any of it in the morning. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish my dad would stop drinking. I wish my mom would leave him. I wish I could forget everything he's done or said that's made me uncomfortable. Have you shared these things with others? I've talked to my partner about feeling sexualized by my dad. Nothing specific. I'm not quite ready for that. It felt good to share it with him. It made me, it made him angry to hear, but he was supportive of my feelings, and I felt safe talking about it with him. I don't think I will ever share anything else in this survey with anyone. I'm too ashamed. I think it would break me. I think just the opposite. I think if you found somebody safe, like your therapist, to share it with, I think it would liberate you because you are carrying all of the shame that your dad has put on you. Your dad is too numb. He, he has to drink to not feel the shame that keeps probably popping up in him. Um, and my thought is... You know, I heard a therapist one time talking about oftentimes things that become powerful in our sexual fantasies were things that had to do with traumatic events when we were kids. And you had some traumatic events involving dogs. Um, you know, watching your, your dad fucking beat dogs in front of you... Um, and then the, the, the fantasy about having a sex with the black lab of the family you used to babysit for, I'm just going to take a wild guess that that was a family that probably had some, some intimacy that, that you were envious of and it felt safe. And, you know, I, I don't, th and this is probably obvious to everybody who's listening, but it's not about the dog. It's about you wanting to feel seen and safe and have some type of control in this horrifying environment that you were raised in. And, and you're, you're reacting to your own beautiful humanity by shaming yourself. 
And I, I really hope that you hear me. Uh, and I hope I'm not overstepping, you know, my bounds by giving uh, my boundaries by. That's um, no, my podcast. Fuck you. Don't you dare judge me. Just turn on her. Um, but I don't know. I, I guess because I have shamed myself for so many years for my relationship to sex, my relationship to my body, it just stirs up a lot of passion in me when I see somebody else going down that same road. Uh, and then we finally got, we got two, two more uh, surveys. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Shock Brain. And uh, she writes, last month I was in the hospital undergoing a course of ECT, which stands for electroconvulsive therapy, which also used to be known as shock therapy. This particular hospital allowed patients to have time outside, which was often the highlight of my day. Unfortunately, we were limited to an approximately 12 by 20 caged in paved patio. One day, we realized that birds frequently flew close to this patio and brought Cheerios outside in hopes of attracting more of them. We all stood at the edge, tossing single pieces of cereal through the fence every time a bird approached. Despite the depressing ridiculousness of the situation, I couldn't help but laugh at the irony of the human beings being inside the cage and the birds flying free. That is one of the most amazing, beautiful, heartbreaking, awfulsome moments I have I have ever read. Thank you for that. Oh my God. That was like a poem. And then finally, this is a uh, just a simple happy moment that I love. Um, this is filled out by a listener who calls herself I'm a casualty. And um, she writes, my husband and I moved back home a month after living with family because I'd been su- suicidal. I pulled up to our new house that's covered in giant oak trees and got out of my car to run inside because it was pouring. This time, I did something I never do. I closed my car door and I just stood in the heavy rain. I heard it on the leaves of the trees. I felt it on my hands and my face. I smiled and giggled a little bit. You know why? Because I'm here. I'm still here. I watched it for a little while longer on the porch and smelled the smell that I love more than anything in the world. I could actually feel the rain for the first time in a long, long time. That's so beautiful. You guys are the best. Just the best. Oh, I feel so grateful to be able to read um, your surveys and interview the people that I interview and to be able to feel safe enough um given the positive feedback I get from you to be able to share the things in my life that I that I share with you. It's, I feel really, really lucky. And if you're out there and you're struggling, you are not alone. You are so not alone. I've run out of words to describe how not alone you are. Just take my word for it. Um, and thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.